delicious of fun. Now the jingle hop has begun. Welcome to Scum, Beer and Villainy, the podcast about beer, geekery and everything in between. I'm your host, Marcel Harper. I've been brewing beer for more than a decade now, and I'm the author of the BeginnerBrewer.com blog. I'm joined, as always, in the studio by my co-host and fellow nerd, Matt Bezeling. Matt has been trained well, but is not a Jedi yet. I was thinking about that. I think that means I'm a Padawan. I hate that word. Why? Because it makes me think of the movies which will not be named. Uh, you know those movies uh, which don't really exist. So if I use the word midichlorian, you're going to feel the same way. I don't know what you're talking about, Matt. Oh, right. Okay. Mm. Uh, it's probably something you've made up all on your own. <laughs> yes, I would have made it up It sounds like something which someone who doesn't respect the beautiful piece of art they've created now is starting to punt to us because he's run out of ideas. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Is you know, a little man-child who's never grown up. It's someone who would make up something like mm. metachlorians. Metachlorians, yeah. So, so that's why I don't like that word. But old Luke Skywalker really gets told that a lot. <laughs> Yes, in every single episode every of everything single, that he's in. He is always not a Jedi yet. You're I mean, not what, good enough. You must, I mean, I think they may have edited out where he just goes, so what the fuck must I do to be a Jedi, man? <laughs> oh, young Luke. Tell me. Young Jedi, you are not. Yeah, face this guy, do this, do the other thing. Get, jo- get, jog with me on your back for 400 kilometers. Yeah, get your hand chopped off. Are you a Jedi? No. No. You made your own lightsaber? You're not a Jedi. <laughs> Sorry. He made it. Did you fall through a city in the sky? He literally and made his own lightsaber. Are you a Jedi? No. No, 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 no. So we're going to assume that he is a Jedi now with the whole Kylo Ren, Knights of I Ren I certainly hope so. Ren, but, we, let's assume that. But in that last scene of, of uh, Force Awakens, he does look a little bit pissed off to me. No, he looks angry. Or constipated. Well, well he's, sure. he's on an island there with no toilets. That he's probably been be. waiting for 30 years for someone to bring him some toilet paper. It could be there. Where have you been? <laughs> I've been desperate. I've texted everyone I knew <laughs> for toilet paper, and you bring a lightsaber? I've got one. Didn't R2D2 tell you what I wanted? Yeah, you can't wipe your ass with that. I am, I am looking forward to Rogue One. It opens in... I'm very stoked about Rogue four One. Four days' Rogue time. One. It's how, it looks brilliant. It does look good. It's, it's like the gritty, the gritty war side. Yeah, I and mean, there has to be that side to Star Wars. We've just never seen it. And But it also has some... I think light moments. They've got the guy who seems like a semi Jedi. He doesn't have a lightsaber, but he's got like the that sort of quarterstaff type deal. Yes, yes. And he seems to be sort of blind but can see. Yes, which is a very Jedi thing. Very Jedi. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah, the and whole I, thing sounds and strong it's female character. I dig it. That that is a thing that they seem to be doing quite nicely with the whole Star Wars thing. Star Wars is, is get becoming some more hot, diverse. Good kick ass chicks mm. up front there. But also more diversity in general, which is nice. And I think Star, Star Trek, in that sense, w- was always the leader in showing people that, you know, you don't have to be just white and male to be in sci-fi. Sure. And also you can kiss black ladies and you don't die. Yeah. Immediately. Yeah. Black ladies with really, really short skirts. <laughs> with really short skirts. Yeah. I mean, I think Star Trek taught us that no matter what kind of woman you are, you can be objectified. Pretty much. That was the other contribution it made, yes. <laughs> uh, in other sci-fi movie news, I don't mm. know if you saw that they have signed off on the um, sequel to Edge of Tomorrow, the Tom Cruise, Emily Blunt film. Really? Which is one of my personal There's going to be a sequel to that? Well, apparently it's a prequel that's a sequel. Oh, because yeah. I can't see how you can follow from that story and the way it ended. Yeah, I think, uh, well, according to Christopher McQuarrie, mm. it's, a, it's, a, it's a C-prequel. Okay, I don't know what that means. It, it means it's a prequel that ha- it's a sequel that happens before the original mm. one, but they've got that whole time shifting motif. Time, so, so maybe it doesn't make sense. Exactly. Maybe you don't have to. What? Maybe you shouldn't question it. Maybe you should just let it happen. To I you. enjoyed that movie immensely. Mm-hmm. I watched it again 
uh, about a week ago. And it holds up. You know, it's a fantastic little story. It's one of those few time travel stories which actually seems to have covered all the bases. Yeah, surprisingly, you can't pick as many holes in mm. it as, you, as you'd like to. Yeah. And surprisingly, even though I think Tom Cruise is probably a bit of a dumbass, he's, he does sci-fi really well. Yeah, but I mean, he, look, I, I don't like I don't, him in many like of Tom his Cruise. non-sci-fi I really roles. don't like Tom Cruise, but wow, he throws himself into a role. Like, mm. He's really, really good at making you believe that he's really... Sure. But I think he does specifically sci-fi really well. I think his other movies are not always that good to me. Like his non-sci-fi roles are often a little... Then the more douchey kind of Tom Cruise almost comes out. Like in the Mission Impossible movies. <laughs> yes, I don't yes. like those at all. Oh, really? But whenever he's in a sci-fi movie, it seems that that's his jam. Yeah. Whether he knows it or not. Yeah, sure. Because Minority Report was excellent. Yeah, that was good. And, and he pulled that role off really well. And it was a complex role. He, I mean, even that other movie... That Oblivion... Oblivion was a bit disappointing, but it wasn't bad. No, it wasn't. I mean, I think they tried to they set it up for that twist so hectically that everything, all the characterization, Mm. kind of fell away. And the twist also ultimately didn't make sense. There were so many gaps there. Oh, really? Of like, it had me hook line. Why? If you really think about it, that movie doesn't make much sense. But Mm. but Tom Cruise does do sci-fi well. I'm I'm always delighted to see him in sci-fi. And even the that other one, which was sort of semi-sci-fi, yeah. um, Eyes Wash, why? No, no, Vanilla Sky. Vanilla Sky, which Vanilla, is a phenomenal film. Pretty cool. And yeah. still the only movie to this day which really uh, addresses cryogenics properly, I think. There's not really been a movie about that, apart no. from Vanilla Sky. No, but I think also cryogenics is seen as a kind of weird fringe science. It is, which is strange, because I think if you're not into that, you're kind of weird. Yeah. We should move on to beer. We should move on to beer. Beer is the topic. But this is also our special holiday edition show. Oh, that's right. It's our bumper. It's the bumper edition. It's the Victor Book for Boys of beer podcasts. Pretty much. It's the same as all the others, just with more reindeer. <laughs> well, no, no reindeer. Okay. I'm allergic to reindeer. I'm not sure, man. I'm going to try and import some reindeer into it. Um, I think they also have lice. Reindeer lice is a big problem in Scandinavia. Don't they also do that Lyme disease thing? The uh, lice? Yeah, I think any, but any venison, is mm, that what you call it? Any, any antelope can venison. do that. Wild, wild creatures. Wild creatures with horns. So this is the holiday edition. It's our last um, podcast for the year. And it will be a little bit longer show, I think. Sorry about that. Not really. I'm not sorry at all. No, because you like to listen to self I do. And we've got some music coming up, some really cool music. We've who's, got the, who's the band? Who's the band? Music Today the is band? brought to you by Pollinator. It is a three-piece band from Josie. And they rock. They do. They're actually pretty cool. They are amazingly cool. cool. I mean, I, they kind of remind me somewhere in between of Wolf Mother and some 70s rock. Yeah. Yeah. I think I said Motorhead and Queens mm. of the Stone Age. Mm. So, mo- mo- Love Child between Motorhead, Queens of the Stone Age, and Wolf Mother. Yeah. So, if you like any of those bands, then... That's actually a very plausible scenario, given absolutely, <laughs> the band's Absolutely. History. Those, those are basically the three bands you're most likely to like if you yeah. like music. Indeed. So well, then, if you like those bands, then pull yourself out of the drunken stupor that you're obviously in at whatever time in the morning this might be. Mm. And um, I, I suspect most of our listeners listen to this in the wee hours of the morning in weird, weird situations. Like m- masturbatory situations. I didn't say that, man. No, but you meant it. I, I really didn't. <laughs> well, I'm thinking it now. I, I don't know, man. My mom listens to this. <laughs> no, don't say doesn't. such things. No, she doesn't. Probably not. Your mother doesn't know what you do for a living. No, she doesn't. So, that is the music brought to you by Pollinator. You don't really need that Cause inside I'm soft You don't really need that 
Cause inside I'm soft Inside is all that I've got Put it on a plate, serve it hot Inside is all I've got having an intro beer, Matt, as always. Uh, tell us about this beer our while in- I put my headphone in another jack for something. Our intro beer. Our intro beer for today is from a familiar brewing company, which we interviewed last time. Drifter Brewing Company's The Stranded Coconut. That's the name of the beer. It's there. You may recall from uh, last episode where Nicholas told us about this beer. He said it's a really difficult one to make because they have to shave the coconut. Coconuts, yes. I'm not sure if they use shaving cream. But it would be kinky if they did. You so can it's probably tell this a, is the Christmas edition. It's a kinky beer. Shaved coconut. It's, it's sort of like a blonde ale with coconut. Yeah. And, I mean, fortunately, because I don't like coconut. Mm. Fortunately, the coconut's not overwhelming. But it it's is not there. It's there. It is there. You can taste it. I think once it, we let this warm up a little bit, it mm. definitely came out a little bit more. It's a nice little beer. I, I enjoy it. Um, I enjoy coconut flavor in general more than you do. So yeah, yeah. I suspect that, that this is more of a beer for me than for you. Um, then again, there is so much more in the beer to enjoy that it's not just about the coconut. Mm. It is a, it's a nice beer. It's um, quite refreshing. It's very refreshing. It's meant to be, I think, I think mm. Nicholas said it was meant to be a refreshing beer. Yeah. Because more, normally in craft beer, when you put coconut in a beer, it would be a porter. So overseas, there's quite a few coconut porters. Um, and I think it's because the coconut flavors play very well with the coffee, mm, vanilla, uh, vanilla flavors yeah. of a porter. But and according to him, and I have, I'm yet to see it proved wrong. This is the only light coconut beer. I think they've taken the, the yeah because they've taken the tart approach rather than mm. dessert approach. You know, and I think it works nicely. And as he kind of points out, you know, despite coconut flavors being you know sort of. Uh, Regarded as playing well with coffee and the darker kind of flavors, mm. coconut is a tropical fruit. It's yeah, something exactly. you actually associate with sitting on a on a beach, beaches, yeah. and Baywatch, yeah. and Baywatch. I you like know, the there's a Baywatch movie coming out. I do, and I've seen the trailer, and it is phenomenal. It seems hilarious. It looks unbelievable. But I'll watch Dwayne the Johnson in literally anything. I'll I, watch him punch him himself out of appealing. a car. I find him very appealing for some reason. I'm not sure why. He's, it's the honest watching a thing. It's, it's, you, yeah. there's, there's such a total lack of expectation about him. Sure. You're like, okay, cool. He's walking around. He's achieved <laughs> everything that I needed him to do in this movie. <laughs> 
but he's unlike Schwarzenegger, and I used to like a lot of Schwarzenegger movies when I was a kid. You know, The Rock, Dwayne Dwayne Johnson. He's he seems like genuine in a way, which like, I don't know if you it's don't just think Schwarzenegger well. was. Yeah, maybe he was, but maybe they both were. Maybe that's what their appeal is. They they almost have that sort of country boy innocence thing. Absolutely, yeah. Like just off the. I'm not, a, from I'm not Austria. a pretentious actor. I'm just trying my best here, you know. Yeah, yeah. I'm just eating my protein, mm. benching people, <laughs> being nice to people as much as I can, <laughs> and and reading these lines. This director guy is telling me to read as best I yeah. can, and f- only speaking phonetically because mm. I don't actually speak the language, <laughs> which I can on. totally understand with Dwayne Johnson. Maybe. <laughs> I'm sure his entire recent career was just written down on scraps of paper. And he but was he's, like, I think he's got he a bit more this. acting depth than old Schwarzenegger does. Um, I actually think it's probably a little bit more swung towards The Rock is probably better on the comedy mm. side than... I mean, I, I know Arnold was well-known as, mm. as a relatively good comedy actor, but it was always because True. it was the the astonishing hilarity of him playing against yeah. type, you know? But that, like I mean, I enjoyed pregnant. him. He was pretty good in that um, follow-up to Get Shorty. Be cool. Be cool. He was fantastic. The he gay plays the gay card. sidekick. Yeah, I don't think Schwarzenegger could pull off a role like that. No, I also don't. I also you don't. need that, a bit more depth. depth that's the depth. Yeah. So that's that's Dwayne. I don't know how we got to this topic. No, neither did I. Um, Speaking of movies, well, what's pretty cool now is that there's been a long hiatus for Star Wars fans, where you just kind of had to read those really horrible novels, or you know, well, not all of them were horrible. Some were some were unbelievably one. good. I hated every single. Really? One. Yeah, I hated them. Really? I really didn't like them. That Timothy Zahn stuff? Oh, no. That was... Uh, for me, that Yuzhan was Vong. Like, Yeah, that whole... It didn't, yeah. didn't work for me. The, the, whole, the whole antagonist of that, you know, like this guy who studies art. And it, it's not Star Wars. You know, like, who gives a damn? It, uh, it, it got... I, I think the problem is also that Star Wars, because it, there's such a paucity of first-hand mm, material nice word there man thank paucity. you um really really relied on the on the expanded universe which mm. was the was the books mainly the books and the well that's the thing and there was there were no real and i and somehow i don't think stories works well in novelization because it's not it paints on too wide a canvas mm. to be a good novel where you have to invariably get into stuff on, on a micro level character which level, yeah. doesn't work um Speaking of this, sorry, before, mm. we, before we move on, I've just remembered a vital piece of trivia that I have in my head mm. that I want to find Tell out me. whether you know. Do you remember, it was probably like mid-80s, early 90s, there was an animated series called Droids. Yes, it was, I remember it this. It was C-3PO and R2-D2 mm. basically traveling, traveling the, universe the universe and getting up to hijinks. <laughs> yeah. Now, Droids. my question to you, my mm. general knowledge question to you, who did the music, the theme music for Droids? It's probably going to be a band which I cannot possibly even imagine. It's going to be a band that you know very, very well. Mm. Well, but, minus well, one. I wouldn't have guessed. No, you probably won't guess it. If you don't I'm going to go for Queen. You are. You know, that's kind of weird. You're close. You're close. You're mm. in the right era. It, it was done by two-thirds of the police. No way. Yeah. It was... Uh, it was like that must have been a trippy recording studio, which which that was done in. <laughs> and if you actually if you can track down the theme song, mm. it's actually a really cool little piece of cool. pop music. Maybe we'll play it next time. Yeah, we'll find it. On, I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere. I'm sure that's now already open source or whatever. Yeah, it's 70 years. Mm. Disney have gone to hell. I think we should try it out. Okay, cool. I remember Droids very well, but I don't remember the theme song at all. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Sorry, that was me doing some sure. improv jazz scat.
Okay, Matt. So let's get started. Yes, let's do move on to more beer. Um, more oh, just to finish beer. off on the drifter, yeah, drifter, the stranded coconut. Sure. Um, I really dig that they've put little protea blossoms there underneath the coconut. Oh, right. I actually didn't did you know, did notice you know? that. Was it protea? Yeah. I'm, I'm not botanically very sophisticated. I hope it's a protea and, and not some other kind of... meat South Africa Absolutely. I like in that. a beer. I like that. Nice branding. Nice reference, guys. Sick cool. reference, bro. Okay. Let's go on. Let's go on. What's next? Next is we're going to break format a little bit by doing our beer review. So it's beer review time. Do you want to do the beer review song? Beer review. Beer review. Beer review. We are doing a bit of a special one because it's a holiday edition. We decided to firstly go for one of my favorite styles and also Matt's favorite style, mm. which is IPA. IPA. We love the IPA. And we're going to put a Josie IPA against a Cape Town IPA. Now, if the Cape Town listeners have already decided that the Cape Town one's going to win. Go fuck yourselves. Yeah, what he said. <laughs> So we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't so know. Anything could happen today. We'll, we'll review both of them in our normal way, and we'll see yeah. which one comes out on top in the cage fight of beer death. Yes. The Thunderdome of IPAs. Yeah. Only one will survive, and then get sent on to other movies, which are really <laughs> bad. I'd like to point out that the, the great Josie Cape Town mm. um, rivalry, yes. you know, the, the intense rivalry between those two mm. nation states, mm. is... Um, really only gotten close to by one other great rivalry and that's between the Scottish yes. and their great rivals the Scottish <laughs> let's start with the first beer and randomly selected by going into the magic beer bag I've pulled out the first IPA and the first one we're going to be reviewing is Agar's Brewery Tomahawk IPA Tomahawk I like that name I do like Tomahawk. It's also the name of an actual hop, which is in this beer. Oh, well, that sounds a bit lazy then. Well, I don't know. It's kind of cool. I mean, you know, at least they're respecting the ingredients. Okay. All right. So, Matt, your verdict. Before the pour, Mm. what do you think of Agar Brewery's label (laughs) and brand? (laughs) You know, it's actually difficult now because it's become a caricature of itself. um, Maybe just between us. Maybe we should tell the (laughs) listeners about this. Agar's is a perpetual thorn in my side because mm. because there's a steadfast refusal to adjust to any kind of design conformity. Um, but you can give that to them though because they that's exactly what they, I was just about to say. They ignore a steadfast refusal. any principle of good branding I've ever seen. I, I mean, the, there's gold on mm. a light green label. You can hardly read it. I don't understand how that's possible. I don't understand how, why that looks good. And but weirdly enough, because they are just so incredibly stubborn about it. I'm kind of starting to like it. So it's just sort of growing on you like a fungus. I think, yeah, I think it's like methadone treatment. It's I think like eventually it just starts have, working. Which no, no cream can remove. No human. So you just make peace with it. Yes, right? eventually you go, oh, well, I'll just leave it and itch. Yes. There, there are many rashes, but this is mine. This is my rash. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know, hey, guys. You guys are slowly winning me over with this super minimal. Mm. I think Matt's already drunk. That's <laughs> my um, personal opinion on that one. Well, at least it happened before I got to the mm. IPAs. Now, I, I, I must admit that it's not growing on me at all. In fact, every time I see it, I, I, I like it even less, the so brand. you're going in the exact opposite direction to me. Mm. That's interesting. I, I must say, the, the, the gold on green is, is mm. very, very difficult for me to say is a standout. Yeah, I mean, it, it's got the coat of arms, which obviously, given the name, is obviously the Agar family coat of arms, and, and, that's, um, and it's a legitimate choice, I guess, in branding. But there's just nothing to recommend 
uh, in terms of the, the visual appeal. Mm-hmm. They've got a lot of beer, so they command a lot of shelf space in the, in the liquor stores up here in Josie. Yeah. Is it cohesive? I mean, it's cohesive it in the sense everything? that all, all of it's the same, it's just different colors. But that's about the best you can say about the Agar brand for me is that they are cohesive in the sense of the color schemes or, you know, it's the same label with different colors. Yeah. But it's just, it's a, it's, for me, it's a shame because this is a craft beer. It's a well-made beer. I like no, their Agar's beers. No, good beer. And I think part of the experience of craft beer for me is, is, the, is the more artistic or the more novel label designs. We don't have to keep on retreading the old designs of labels. I mean, you even see that in wine now. Mm. I mean, there are some of the sort of what one would might call craft wine. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. so some of the, the smaller wineries, for instance, in, in the Swartland area especially, because they're going through a bit of a revolution there in terms of making wine in more traditional ways. They also now experimenting with more arty, out there labels in wine, and it looks cool. Mm-hmm. It, it's nice to see wine even not being so traditional anymore. Yeah, and so for me, it's a, it's a lost opportunity. Yeah, really. sure. I mean, my my immediate impression from this label is is monastically medieval. That's mm. that's kind of what I'm getting without any of the tradition, unfortunately, and that's the problem. Yeah. But but even the monastic line, we'll be seeing some later because we're going to be doing spoiler alert. Belgian beers. Belgian beers. It's going to be so cool. Okay, but let's get there. Yeah, anyway, let's get back to the review. Tom Walk IPA, Matt. So, before the pour, um, would you pick this up if this was, if your only no. decision-making tool was the visual appeal of the bottle? No, but we've said this before. If I didn't know agars and have actually drank agars, mm. I wouldn't ever drink agars. Yeah. It, it looks very homemade. It, it looks like it was done in paint, and it looks like it, it was maybe the, the home-brewing connection here in, in the sense that a lot of homebrewers create their own labels when they're, they're, they're playing around with their own beers and you know they give it to their buddies and they put their own label on and it's all fun and games I think it's like it's never gone past that for me maybe it's just not a big kind of priority for them clearly maybe it goes like look man we're going to make the beer we don't give a shit what mm. it looks like I think that's that's a fine attitude to have if you're not trying to make money or like you're not in a commercial set up or maybe even in the real world yeah yeah nowadays it's uh, to your own peril that you ignore the marketing side of things it's the whole package for me mm. why not give people a good visual experience mm, sure i mean a chef doesn't say well i'll just chuck it on the plate mm. I mean, it's not like they're gonna look at it forever you know i've spoken to some craft brewers and some of them are a little bit like this you know it's like oh the beer would speak to itself i don't care about the label but it's a lost opportunity because and even if you don't have a taste for, for label design, maybe you'll find someone who does. Or maybe you can partner with a local artist who can do the label for you, and that can become a story and an interesting thing to do. And you can support some poor bastard who, you know, <laughs> wouldn't make a living otherwise. I'm sorry, I completely switched off there. I, I was actually drinking my IPA. Yeah. It is delicious. It, but the beer is good. It's so really good let's, let's taste this and tell us what you think. Matt, what do you think about the Tomahawk IPA? I, mean, I go so the... the Visually, it's, it's got semi-cloudy yeah. straw color, and I think that's, again, from dry hopping, which is common in an IPA style. So don't get too concerned if you drink IPAs which aren't super crystal clear. It's often because they dry hopped, mm. and that's one of the ways you would make an IPA because you want that fresh hop flavor coming yeah. through. The, the immediate impression as it goes into your mouth is that is, it's, it's creamy. Mm. There's a creamy, creamy head on that. The bitterness is great. It's pitched quite nicely for my palate. Um, and it's packed with flavor. I really, really enjoy mm. it. Very, very nice. Um, good balance here between the malts and the hop. But it is undeniably a hoppy, hoppy, hoppy beer. Yeah. There's a bit of butteriness to it for me. So maybe a little bit of diacetyl, which could be a, a slight flaw. But 
Not massively so. Like I'm picking up some butterscotch flavors in it, um, but not not to detract. I mean, it could it's, also just be my. It's ridiculous in brewing that delicious butterscotch flavor is yeah. seen as a flaw. I'd be like, yes. well, some beers actually do benefit from it. So some of your English ales, for instance, benefit from it. But this is almost certainly meant to be an American IPA, mm-hmm. which which where you don't want too much uh, butterscotchy diacetyl in it. But it's not massive. I think it's. It's forgivable, and, and the hop flavor comes through in a big way. Mm. I mean, you've got that backbone of really grassy, dank hop, and, and there's, on the finish, I, I'm getting citrus. I'm getting some uh, sort of mm. floral notes even. But also quite impressive that even with that, um, that creaminess mm. on the top, it finishes very, very crisp. It does, and it's nice and bitter, and it's got a... It's got an undeniable grapefruit bitterness to it, mm. which I love. Yeah, like an acidic bitterness. Isn't yeah, tart there. Yeah, and there's there's that just that fruitiness to it. Mm. Um, you know, it's it's like you could, if you if you, if you would be forgiven to think that someone put a, a slice of grapefruit in here, mm. you know, while we mm. were looking, and I love that. that yeah, flavor. and that wouldn't really mm. mess with the flavor profile. This very is much. not a faux PA. No, no, no. This is not a trademark, Matt Beasley. Faux Mark TMC. Mm. 2016. This ain't no phobia, man. No, this, this, is, is, a a, this is exactly when you, want, when you order an IPA, this is what mm. you want to rock up. Exactly. If, 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 again, if, if I order a Tom Hawk IPA with that slight feeling of trepidation, which I now have for IPAs in South Africa, where I feel mm, this is going to be a pale ale, and then I have this, I'm not disappointed. This is mm. a good, solid mm. rendition of the style. Yeah, and like you say, it's so really nicely balanced there. Mm. You know, it's not overwhelmingly bitter. I mean, we. Um, sure. Look, I think it's pretty bitter. I mean, I, I think you and I are maybe a little bit desensitized. No, to sure. I suppose we should uh, caveat that with, mm. uh, you know, we, we yeah. sat we sat in your kitchen a couple of weeks ago and we did. kind of digested the hops mm. kind of raw, you know. Yeah, um, that was clever. The, yes, I mean, in <laughs> retrospect, <laughs> completely. Um, but but uh, the balance isn't necessarily mm. not saying that it's not very bitter. No. But that doesn't overwhelm the fact they that you can well still together. taste the other elements that need to come through there. And it finishes nice and clean, actually. There isn't a tremendously tongue-coating mm. bitterness, but yeah. I do feel it building up the more I, I have this. But some, you know, some very bitter beers sometimes, unfortunately, have that sort of, they, they coat your tongue too much. Mm. And after a while, all you can taste is bitter. Mm. Where this, this sort of cleans your palate also. So there's a cleanness to the, the yeast, I think. They're probably using American yeast strains, which have a tendency to be quite clean in their finish. Uh, they don't leave too much lingering um, fruitiness. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love this beer. I mean, it's it's as an IPA usually would be. It's not a light beer in alcohol. It's got 6.5 ABV. Boom. But I love it. I can drink this all day. Mm. That that Cascade hop is definitely present here in that grapefruit flavor we're picking up, mm-hmm. um, which is a very characteristic flavor of Cascade hops, which is an American hop. Dig it. Yeah, dig it. Yeah, absolutely. So, Matt. We'll leave the, the scoring for later. Yeah, let's leave that till the end. You may recall earlier that we said this is going to be a cage match Thunderdome <laughs> review. <laughs> two beers enter, one beer leaves. Mm. Although no beers leave. We may actually so end so up so. drinking with two hands here, which is apparently not a good idea. <laughs> so Matt's going to get us some more glasses there. And we're going to open up the next beer. So the next beer is from the Western Cape, a little town by the name of Woodstock. Not to be confused with the one in America, but... Some of the things are happening there. Uh, I've, I've Massive been, amounts of LSD. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, for sure. Um, but also massive amounts of really good beer coming out of Woodstock. So Woodstock's fast becoming, I don't know, I mean, I, 
is it maybe overdriven to say that Woodstock is becoming the Portland, Oregon of South Africa? I'm not sure it is. I, th- I think the number of breweries coming out of there is, makes me f- think of, of places like Portland mm. in America, mm. um, Kent in, in, in Britain. So it would, would now be a good time for a, a little report back of your, yeah. your shimmy shimmy down to Cape Town. So I went down to the Cape not so long ago and I did visit some of the Woodstock breweries and I actually went to the Woodstock brewery which is the uh, author of this next beer we're having. Um, they somehow got first to the name Woodstock Brewery. All the other guys must have uh, <laughs> thought, you know, damn you. Darren, I wanted to be Woodstock. <laughs> yeah, so they are Woodstock Brewery. Lovely little setup. Not a big massive brewery but they've got they've got size for expansion beautiful setup i met with the head brewer there um who actually came from from homebrewing roots and is just so stoked to be the head brewer there right now and has worked his way up through the ranks to be there lovely guy i had the fresh version of this ipa which was sort of two days out of the bright beer tank into the tap magnificent Magnificent. Mm. IPAs do well if it's fresh. That's mm. the one caveat in a way. The IPAs sometimes do degrade a little bit in the bottle. Um, you want it really, really fresh. Well, I mean, on that subject, I mean, you've often given me a history lesson on, on, mm. on beer. Mm. Weren't IPAs IPAs because they lasted such a long time? You know, that's it's debatable. It's one of those legends. Out there. It's a bit like steam beer's origin, you know. What, what, why well, call it steam beer? Where does yeah. it come from? I think there is, there's definitely a historical record to suggest that in the colonial era, the British colonial authorities who had to supply liquor to their um, soldiers and colonial officials as part of the deal mm. um, created a, a style of beer which eventually became known as the India Pale Ale because it went to India yeah. around the Cape of Good Hope. So the Cape has always actually been somehow involved with IPA. Interestingly, um, and they they put a lot of hops in that beer because it is a natural preservative. The I think the the interesting part of it, and if I I've read a few books on the history of IPA, and we'll put some in the show notes. We'll just make a note in the show note <laughs> um, that what's interesting is by the time those beers arrived in India, they weren't that hoppy. They didn't taste like our IPAs now because that the trip took so long that yeah. the hop flavor is completely mellowed out. Yeah. It was literally put in as a preservative more than as a flavor, uh, you know, component. And but it was still the India Pale Ale, and that's maybe it's, that's why a lot of the English style IPAs are not as hoppy because mm, that's a bit truer to the sure. outcome of that particular. Uh, but the Americans took, and the American craft beer industry really took IPA seriously, and they, I think, also because it's it's a beer style which is so different from your lagers which macro breweries produce. Yeah. It's got so much flavor, so much hops. It 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 breaks all the conventions of in, you know industrialized beer in the sense that hops is an expensive ingredient. Yeah, sure. And you use so much of it uh, in an IPA that it, you know financially it, it's a dangerous mm. beer to make. So I think they gravitated towards it. Mm. And but now the modern version of IPA is it's a it's a hop forward. It's a showcase for hops. Mm. That's what it's all about. It's all about the hops, you know, and. and showcasing different kinds of hops, different combinations of hops, different st- uh, ways of using hop. So you may recall from our interview with um, Nicholas at Drifter, they do a lot of first word, word hopping, mm. they do a lot of uh, whirlpool hopping, they do a lot of dry hopping. And there are many different ways you can utilize hops to create different flavors for something like an IPA. We have poured the Woodstock so, brewery. The Woodstock and the? 
Californicator. Californicator, which is a Red Hot Chili Peppers song, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, uh, well, close. Californication. Almost. California, but there's also the Californication TV series with X Files uh, dude. Yeah, David Duchovny. Duchovny. Yeah, Calif- Californicator is probably a little bit more on the nose. Let's say. Hmm. Hmm. Naughty things are happening there. Naughty things are happening in this bottle. So, in on the label, they also say this is more of a U.S. Pacific Coast. So it's a. Uh, West Coast style IPA. There, there is IPA, a bit of a yeah. difference between the East Coast and the West Coast IPAs in America. West Coast IPAs tend to be much more tropical, hop forward, light bodied. Let's look at before the pour, Matt. Oddly enough, and completely <coughs> by coincidence, they've both got the same ABV. I see both is six point five. Yeah, I, I like Woodstock's uh, mm. design. Um, it is very kind of right now. It's very kind of mm. flat. You know, mm. um, which which is very popular right now. And I mean, I, I like the use of iconography on the label itself yeah. um, for some reason I'm reminded quite a lot of the citizen labels I think mm. it's the angles and the kind of sharp, do- mm. sharp dark shaded edges mm. um, also not a very common shape of the label it's yeah, a sort that, of a hexagon that kind of yeah what is that is it hexagon or One, a pentagon what's six sided hex hex Hexagon. Hexagon, yeah. Um, I actually, in a way, prefer their, their rear label to their front label I just think the way that they've laid out the information mm. Um, is is well done. It's a very yeah. good use of space. Uh, they get the mm. the very beer label in again. Use of space. Exactly. Um, a little bit about the beer. I like the the background of the beer. Mm. Uh, you know, the one thing I just don't like those uh, those cutout fonts. You know, mm. where where it's just an outline font. Right. Those things kind of they make me feel mm. funny. They but that's a, yeah. And they can sometimes seem pixelated when they're not. Yeah, but that also again, those fonts are very in mm. right now. Very look, it's very contemporary design for me, which at least tells me they've they've made the effort. Sure, they didn't just stick with paint. They actually got a designer, and 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 all their labels have that consistency. Yeah, they all have names. The beer, which I kind of like, but so does Agar's. So Matt, we don't need another era, but we do need to put these beers in the cage. <laughs> I just you, did that. Wa- I was going to say, have you been waiting to say that the whole day? Yes, I've been Fantastic. saving that one up. All right, well, let me. Actually- I'm going to be dropping some Tina Turner references throughout oh, the I show. I can't wait. Neither can I because I think I've don't. run out. <laughs> um, so if if you had to put these two beers inside of a car to fight, and uh, like obviously a- the windows would be steamy. Yes, they, no, they certainly would. I, mm. I think they'd first make love before they fought. Indeed. Um, before before the before the poor. Cage match. Uh, it's 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 not really a fair fight. No. I think that there's this lovely expression which I'm going to be using. I, th- I, I think Woodstock Brewery's Californicator blows away Agar's labeling mm. like a plywood upright in a Nevada nuclear test site. Oh, that's really romantic. Mm. Man, you not you're, even you're a poet at not even know. a 1950s fridge <laughs> filled with a. Aging yeah. archaeologists yeah, could we'll, withstand we'll that. withstand that shit. No, obviously. I mean, I think the labels cannot even be compared. The, the one seems professional. It seems craft. It speaks craft beer. The mm. other one just doesn't. So, mm. unfortunately, in this cage match, in the label department, yes. Woodstock does. Uh, yeah, Woodstock's going to solidly KO. Yeah. Agar is in the first round. Yeah, Agar has taken a pretty supreme beating. That mm. is probably standing up right now. They need a good cut, man. They, yeah, they're going to need sure. to iron that closed, put some Vaseline <laughs> in it, and move For on. Sure. Move on to uh, that, that, uh, that silly putty or super glue they use to <laughs> bind your your brow together after it's been opened up. Well, knowing egg guys, they probably wouldn't mind if you just took a staple to them. Probably they they seem rough and ready. 
They're ready to go. Okay, t- t- taste this beer, man. Well, let's it's first tasty. hold it up to the light. Now, if you compare the two, and I'm going to do that now. Uh, I'm not going to spill I, I it all over my computer. my other one. Ah, oh, you fool. So, so very actually, similar. very similar. I mean, this is, uh, Tom Oak's clarifying now because the, the hop residue is dropping to the bottom of the glass. But very similar colors. You can see they're using mostly pale malts here. Mm. It's um, still that kind of burnt straw. Yeah, burnt, I like that, burnt straw. Nice one, man. Yeah. Um, and it, it is meant to be like that because you're you're not trying for the malts to overpower the hop, which is what one of the problems with a lot of the FOPAs, which we're encountering, is it's still too malt forward. There's mm-hmm. almost no hops mm-hmm. to speak mm-hmm. of. And if you're doing an IPA, you really just think of the, the malts, and this is for the homebrewers as well. If you want to make a really nice IPA, think of the malt almost as a basket mm-hmm. for yeah, all those absolutely. beautiful hop flowers you're putting into the basket. It's, it's meant to be just carrying that thing. Yeah. That's it. It's not overpowering it. That's a very that's a good way of putting it because the, yeah. the, a lot of those the, the faux PA situation is because they you got to take your dick out, man. You got to realize that you got to chuck that put the hops in. Are we still talking about beer here, man? Well, that depends. <laughs> <laughs> but it's I mean, given that this is the festive uh, edition, it, maybe a better analogy would be it's it's like the wrapping of the the present. Sure, you want to mm. put nice wrapping on the present because it's going to be under the tree. You're gonna you know it's a nice gift, but the main attraction is not the fucking wrapping. It's the thing underneath the wrapping, which is, in this case, the hops. Yes, exactly, which is supposed right. to be what's... So let's taste this thing. Mm. It's interesting, less heavy. It, uh, it feels less heavy in the mouth uh, than Tomok for me Im- immediately, if I contrast it. Is it slightly more carbonated? It's a little bit more carbonated. Um, not, not as creamy as the mm. agars either. Mm. Is it a bit more of a, a conventional head on that? The agars one has that, that creaminess, and I think maybe the creaminess you were explaining is, is really the butterscotchiness, mm. which I picked up earlier. Um, it's certainly not as dank. I mean, the, the tomahawk no, leaves not. a tongue-coating residue yeah. of hot bitterness, which is nice. The Californicator doesn't do that, but it still has a lot of hops. It's, it's weird because I can taste that it's bitter, but it's not as... It's not hitting me as hard as, uh, uh, you know, as the Agos hit me. And I think partly that is because... Now, here's a total guess. But I'm... Here we go. Here we go. Here's a total guess. But I would be very surprised if it's not true. I think Agos is making their IPA in a much more traditional way. I think they're putting quite a bit of kettle hop in there in the initial boil to, to bitter it out. And then they're putting in quite a lot of hops in, there in the last stage of the boil to put the aroma and, mm-hmm. and the flavor in there. And that's the, the traditional way of making beer. Mm. I think that, that Woodstock, on the other end, are employing maybe some first word hopping as well, um, similar to Drifter. And I think they're probably doing a lot of whirlpool hopping, and they're probably putting a, more of their hop um, bill into the fermenter as a dry hop. Mm. Would, would that really come down to also the fact that, you know, this is quite obviously a West Coast IPA, mm. and Agar's maybe a more conventional, traditional IPA? Mm. Look, I think they're both due to the American IPA style. And, and you know, technically there's not that big a difference, really, between the West and the East Coast styles. But I th- and also that's why the, I think the Woodstock IPA is cloudier. Mm. It's much more cloudy than yeah. the Agar's one because it's clearly they are doing way more dry hopping. Yeah. All those different techniques, like first wood hopping, whirlpool hopping, dry hopping, will give you plenty of hop flavor but not that much bitterness. Agar's has a real bitterness to it. it it's, yeah. It a substantial, yeah, the, uh, yeah. It's got a real, uh, in contrast, you know, it's not too bitter, but in contrast to the Californicator, the 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 strange thing, well, not it's obviously not strange at all, um, is that you know the agars 
I could probably have one, two, three of them. The um, the Californicator, uh, you know, is a, it actually comes off feeling a bit more light. It comes I off could, feeling I could have this more easy drinking. Literally all day long. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know. You said that about the <laughs> And when the I was at the brewery, I literally, <laughs> had, it literally had it all day long. <laughs> um, I think that's, that's the difference for me is I, I think flavor-wise, mm. the, the profile of the Tomahawk IPA sits better with me. Mm. But I could, I don't think I could really chew my way through two or three of them, you know? Mm. Uh, whereas the Californicator, it just seems a little bit more subtle. I think Tomahawk has, I mean, it's got so much going for it. It's a chewy, I like that word, it's a chewy, hmm. you know, not to be confused with no. Chewbacca. <laughs> that was really well done. Um, that meant, uh, you just quoted the entire first two pages yes. of War and Peace. Yes, yeah, that, right. that, was, that was, it was the best yeah, times, it. it was the worst times. I got times. that one. Uh, that's not War and Peace. Anyway, um, we're not going to Matt's ignorance <laughs> of, of classic literature here. But Tomahawk has a certain character to it where you almost want to you want to have a conversation with this beer. You know, it's, it's mm. something you can sit down mm. with, and mm. it, it changes flavor a lot. It's got mm. a lot of complexity, a lot of layers of flavor. Californicator is a bit more of an accessible IPA. Yes, that's it. Yeah, good word. If 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 I know I've got someone with me who's not used to IPAs, yeah. I'll give them this beer rather. Yeah. It's what I middle. do like about the Californicator is it's got a bright hop flavor. It's got that bright floral, citrusy flavor which I do enjoy in American hops, and it doesn't have much else. You know, it doesn't. Nothing overpowers that particular flavor profile. It's all about the citrus, and it's all about the grapefruit, and it's all about the floral notes of the hop. You don't feel, and this is me talking absolute bullshit from mm. the beginning to the end here, you don't feel the fact that this is a little bit more of a meeting point between um, you know, the, the, the strength of an IPA and maybe mm. something a little bit more subtle moves it into you know, areas of different styling. No, I, I, I don't. I think this is also not a phobia. This is a proper IPA. No, sure. Because, no, the, the hops is mm. most certainly there. But I suppose my point there is because it's more accessible mm. and isn't in the traditional sense what we've been talking about earlier. Sure. Um, Look, this is it is, a South African IPA? It's, it's keeping up with, I mean, the Californicator is, is definitely keeping up with trends in American brewing, for instance, right now, where because so many American craft breweries are bringing out several different kinds of IPA. That's how popular IPA is They have in to do it, be distinctive between them. One of the emerging new styles of IPA coming out in the American craft scene would be what they would call session IPAs, which is, I think, closer to the Californicator mm. style. It's, it's something you can have a lot of. Mm. It doesn't build up a sort of a, a palate-destroying bitterness, mm. and it's meant to be drunk frequently, refreshing, you know, with a lot of different food types. Yeah. Um, I think that's Because that crispness is, is, is great. This is a super refreshing beer. I mean, I would rather have this any day of the week, on a hot summer's day or mm. on the beach somewhere, than a lager. Mm. Because mm, this sure. delivers flavor, and it's a wonderful beer. Despite what conventional marketing was going to tell you, a lager is not necessarily the yeah. most refreshing thing in the world. No, this is much more refreshing for me because it cleans your palate with that sort of tropical freshness. Yeah. This is a ve- both the beers, actually. Both Agers and uh, Californicator, I think, are very food-friendly. You'd want to have this with some Thai food. Um, some curries would go really well with this. Mm. Any hot kind of food I like with an IPA. Um, it's, uh, it's actually quite appropriate that this is our Christmas podcast because this is actually a, the, the IPA is a nice Christmas beer. It's a nice Christmas beer. You know? We're we going to go into that. I'm going to ask you that later about what beer would be good with a Christmas meal with your family. Oh, great. Th- thank God I've got my answer already. I already have my answer, too. <laughs> um, 
This is a tough call, Matt. We've got good beer here. We've yeah. got competently made yeah. beer. We don't have a faux PAs. We, we, we have proper IPAs here. Well yeah. done. Beer is the real winner beer here. Beer is man. the real winner, yeah. <laughs> beer is the real winner here. Marcel yeah. Harper. Um, you know, okay, you know, I'm going to put my neck out a little yes. bit here. Yeah, we and, have to. And we it's what to. it's what I said earlier. Bring this to conclusion. If we're talking, this is a this is a this is a fucking thunderdome, man. It's this is a fucking thunderdome. Only one can leave alive. Only one can and leave so alive. So far, agars are bleeding. I'm uh, agar is like pulling themselves mm. desperately up along those spikes on it's, the side of the thunderdome. It's that scene in the movie where, you know, it's that scene in Snatch where the guy's under the water and he suddenly decides to come up again. Yeah, it's his last gasp yeah. effort. Yeah. I, and you know what? He he gets up. And he picks up that giant mm. sledgehammer thing mm. and he hits Master Blaster in the stomach. Mm. That's what he does. Because mm. I think in the battle of an IPA and in terms of what an IPA is to me, I really like the Agos. I think the Agos Tomahawk IPA to me mm. gets up and, and, and does pretty well in that, in that Thunderdome. Yeah. I am going to agree with you. Oddly enough, I, I was wow. Actually, coming into did you this, see me kind of switch off and mm, look away there because I was like, oh, he's just going to fuck me now. Coming into this, I didn't think I would because I was so in love with Californicator at the brewery, but I, I think it's because fresh on tap it uh, is a magnificent beer. But it's a different beer to the beer I'm having right now in the bottle, and I know yeah. for a fact this is not a old bottle of beer. This is a pretty new one. Yeah, I got this from a retailer who, who takes his uh, expiry dates very seriously. So. It, it, it sort of, yeah, it edges out. It, it really Tom Hawk edges out Californicator there because of, yeah. and I, I would say it's because of the that sort of really tongue-coating bitterness. Mm. I, I like it. Mm. There are so few IPAs in South Africa which does that. Mm. And yeah, that's, the, yeah. that's the dick out I was talking about earlier. Mm. You know, just have the, have the conviction yeah. to say, this Put is an IPA, there. let's fucking smash it. For sure. So in the metaphorical boxing ring of, mm. of IPAs, yeah. I think what we can say is that Agers has got the, the Tomok IPA has just got the punch. It's, uh, you mm. know, the, the Californicator probably has a bit of reach on it, yeah. probably dances a little bit better in, out sure. of the corners, but Agar, yeah. every time it connects, it, it puts you on the mat. I, I like it. I mean, you know, kind of, I, I think Californicator is sort of like, you know, the Sugar Ray Leonard of IPAs. It yeah. has the moves. Yeah. It can dance Crit- around. acclaimed. But 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 uh, Tom Hawk is Hitman Hearns. Yeah. If he hits you, if, you're if you going get connected, down. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He, he can take the punches. I think that Tom Hawk is just. Yeah, that's a the, the, um, that's a solid solid. Yeah. The winner, which is uh, and all the more upsetting that without knowing Agars, I would never have taken mm. it off the fucking shelf. Well, I think they need to bring in. Uh, personally, I just would love to for them to just bring their branding in line with the quality of the beer they make. Yeah. Yeah, if you have make everything a, going at the right level, I mean, absolutely. You know, if you look at any other kind of industry, if you've got a really good product, you should you should respect it enough and you should love it enough to put it into a beautiful dress mm. and a beautiful cover, and and make it shine. You know, and I, I don't think they're doing that at the moment, and it's unfortunate because I know a lot of my friends down in the Cape who are craft beer fanatics. Have become so used to really good design. Yeah, of course. In the, in the Cape Town. Yeah, that's the sensibility that's down there. Absolutely. That, that if they see Agors on the shelf, and I know Agors is down there as well in some of the liquor stores, they're just going to pass it by mm. because they think, what the hell is this? Yeah, it doesn't you know? fit in. Just doesn't fit just in. Just make it look good, dudes. I guess we can say that if we had to take a beer of these two tomorrow's, it's going to be Tomo. I, in, in my opinion. With, with some trepidation, because I wouldn't mind having 
Californicator in, in the cargo well, hold as well. Yeah, but like you said, I could probably drink Californicator all day, mm. whereas I'd probably restrict myself on the Tomahawk to maybe three or four of them, you know? Yeah. Um, just because it's just knocking me sure. out. I, 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 I want to put Californicator in my secret cargo hold. Yes, I want them to shoot that in the yeah. reserve rocket, the yeah. one that lands on Mars before I arrive I'm, I'm there. I'm putting it underneath the floorboards where <laughs> the stormtroopers never yeah. look. You've just got the six-pack there, <laughs> and it's like, this isn't the beer for you're sure. looking for. It's not the beer you're looking for. <laughs> what score out of 10, mate? Totally subjective and unscientific. Um, the, look, Let's first do uh, yeah. Tomahawk. The Tomahawk IPA, I think, is one of the best IPAs in the country. I'll give it a solid 8.5 out of 10. Mm. 8.5. I'm not sure we do fractions, but now we do. Oh, what? Really? <laughs> we do now. Jeez, <laughs> oh, do I round down or do I round up? You, you, you That's the can't eternal do fractions. Question. You're messing with my spreadsheet. Um, okay. Um, I'm going to take it to an 8 then. I'm going to take it to an 8, yeah. Yeah. I, again, am surprising myself here because I'm Don't pretty stingy with scores and shit. But I'm giving I'm giving it a nine. A nine? That is high praise indeed, first nine. my friend. Yeah. yeah, without a doubt. I'm giving Tomahawk a nine. That's not just the first nine you've ever given a beer. That's literally the first thing you've ever rated a nine ever, <laughs> ever. in your entire life. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, good grief, nines. man. You said Blade Runner was an eight and a half. Probably. So, yeah. you know. Yeah, it, it wasn't in Nine, high praise. Okay, yeah. and um, and the Californicator. It's really quite close. I it is. This it is. is not a. Which is why I wish we had fractions, mm. because the, you know seven and a half mm. is definitely where I'd stick with that. Yeah, I I mean I would I would put uh, Woodstock at an eight. Mm. I really would. I mm. mean I think it's a lovely session IPA. Mm. It's not going to um, destroy your palate after a couple. Yeah. Although um, alcoholic wise they're the same. I do feel, however, that Tomahawk feels a bit boozier. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Than, than absolutely. Uh, tastes boozier than Californicator. And so I think the guys who make Californicator have done well to disguise the alcohol level mm. a little bit more. Mm. Yeah. There's, a, there's an unmistakable balance there. And it is, it is a really good beer. I'm mm. sorry, you just went up against the Tomahawk. Also, that's now my new wrestling name. Mm. Tomahawk. Tomahawk Bessling. <laughs> I, I, I feared to ask you what, what, what is the costume you'd be wearing, I prefer Matt. not to talk about that. I assume you'd be mixed between the Ultimate Warrior and Gold Dust. Right. I, I don't know what you talked about. That's fine. Don't worry I about don't it. I understand, W. I'll listen as well. Mm. I only know The Undertaker. Um, and that's why you are lonely. I know. I know. I never really got into that cool crowd of people who <laughs> 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 watch wrestling. I, I'm, sure I, I'm sure I told you that we once... Um, I think it, it was SummerSlam, mm. right? Now, now I don't know if you know how wrestling works, but they've got these Not kind of really. ten. They've got ten pole events that happen right. during the year, mm. and then some of them are franchised. So you'll have um, WrestleMania, which only happens in America, sure. And then you'll have um, things like Survivor Series and SummerSlam, mm. which, as far as I know, they hold in a couple of different places. You know, they'll have like yeah. the British one, and and one year they took they took SummerSlam on the road. And they brought it here, and they just at the mm. dome here at Northgate. And you know, we went because you know, at the time, we were really, really interested in W. Not mm. not because we thought it was in any way real, but because we really enjoyed the the choreography and we mm. enjoyed the storylines. It's like you know, watching Days of Our Lives. True. I so, have no idea what you're talking about. But you, you have absolutely every idea what we're talking about right now. So so we went, and what we didn't really think about before we went was the fact that they don't have commentary when you're sitting in the stadium. Mm. So it's just a lot of the, I guess, the atmosphere comes from the, the over-the-top commentary, the color commentary, like and they're like, the "My God, he's broken him in half." 
and the ridiculous names they come up with the movie. Yeah, like it's a double reverse owl nest. He's hurricane ronned his dick off. <laughs> and you're like, oh my god, he's hurricane ronned his dick off. Yeah, that's Can a move. You do that? Yeah. Is that legal? You know, Gorilla Monsoon going, <laughs> I can't believe it did that. <laughs> so the commentary's missing. And so basically right. what you've done is you've mm. bought yourself tickets at 200 Rand a pop mm. to watch two men pretend to beat each other up on stage. So is it deeply dissatisfying then? Without the commentary, it certainly mm. wasn't quite what I was expecting. Right. I, I, I've never been to such an event, but now I feel, I feel <laughs> less of a person for not having gone. It, uh, yeah, it, it was definitely an eye-opener, and I'm, mm. I'm, I'm glad we went and we enjoyed it, but there's something about having... Mm someone on TV explaining everything to you. I, I think that's an interesting point in sport coverage in general because it occurred to me a couple of years ago that, you know, and I don't watch a lot of sport. I, I'm not a big fan, but I do watch religiously the, the Open, the golf tournament. Oh, yes. And I wouldn't... The Grail. I don't think I really want to go there in person because you just don't see everything. You, yeah. you only get to yeah. see one. So TV coverage is made sport so much more interesting for me because yeah. you've got the commentary you've got the stats you can see multiple things yeah as an audience sometimes simultaneously and you, you know they follow that little golf ball very well i don't know how they do it but yeah. it's amazing you can you can see the where mm. it would have gone and how it went and yeah and you don't see that as a, uh, as a spectator absolutely. you probably don't even see the where the ball's going see the thing is i think with a lot of sports mm. i'd like i like having the angle explained to me yeah by that i mean i like you telling me what the storyline is mm. and in golf um, it's he, not like you can't come up with your own storyline. It's just interesting to hear someone just, else's it, it, angle. I, I like to know what their angle is. I like to sure. know when when NBC mm-hmm. are doing, you know, like the PGA yeah. um, or the or the road to Dubai or whatever it might be. I like mm. knowing who they say. So is here's, the here's a cool question, Matt, and I think our listeners will, will, would want to know this yeah. about you and about me. Yeah. What is what is your favorite sport to watch on television? Like you, the, the, like like again on our tra- trip to Mars. Quick note to SpaceX. Matt and I really want to go to Mars. We're, we're available for any mission. We are totally available. You're going to need beer podcasters on Mars, obviously. <laughs> it's so obvious to me that I oddly, I feel embarrassed to have to mention this to Elon Musk. Um, Mr. Musk, you need us. You, uh, do you, you need us more than we need you've, you. You've read the Hitchhiker's Trilogy, right? Mm. Well, Quadrilogy or whatever it's called yeah. now. Um, I think it's in the third or the fourth book. Sure. Arthur gets stranded on a... He's the only guy who can make a sandwich. No, 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 not not that uh, part. But I do like that, that, is, part. that is hilarious. But mm. no, he get, he gets stranded on a spaceship that's basically an ark ship, right? From a culture that decided, mm. unbeknownst to this ark ship, mm. that they had had enough of the middle class, which mm. was basically call center operators <laughs> and hairdressers and <laughs> and, and uh, telephone sanitizers. I so they send them all off to another fucking yeah. planet, which turns out to be Earth, actually. Yeah. And everyone's but, got a really nice hairstyle, but yes. no, nothing much else. And they decide that leaves are money, mm. so their currency has hyperinflation. Yeah. But the hilarious part is that it, it kind of flashes back to the civilization they came from. Mm. And it turns out the entire civilization was wiped out from a disease contracted from a dirty telephone. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love uh, that. It's very I mean, good. We probably need to do a special edition series just a, on... A special or episode Hitchhikers, on, yeah. yeah on, on Hitchhikers. So your question was... The favorite sport favorite to watch to on watch. television. Like, like the thing you, you feel almost that slight tingle Re- in the back Re- of your spine. Like my, 
I, I get a religious response. Mm. I know you do. To uh, watching, you're, you're into that stuff. To watching the Rugby World Cup. Really? It changes me as a human being. Mm. Yeah. So that's your favorite one. That is, the, that is mine. Literally the Rugby World Cup. I will not miss a single game, mm. even if it's between like Samoa and Georgia. Mm. I will watch the fuck yeah. out of it. I look um, forward to seeing which new weird countries join the Rugby World Cup. That's my favorite. Well, part. we're inclusive, man. So we're waiting mm. for more. Uh, mm. You know, if you can beat the shit out of another human being, you're sure. welcome to come and join us. Mm. Uh, what's yours? What do you watch? Mine, hands down. Is it the Open? By no. Oddly it's enough. not the Open. No. It's close. I love the Open, especially. You see, the Open is variable because they don't always play it at the same course. So. I, I find it very difficult to resist the open when it's playing at St. Andrews. At St. Andrews, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's almost its own little thing. Yeah, that's like a, a, a mini competition mm. of its and, own. And, and I actually like the preamble to it where they've got all the old greats teeing off, you know, yeah. and chatting to people. And it's got nothing to do with the tournament itself. It's, it's sort of like almost just all the nostalgia. It's, it is. It's just history. You know, watching Gary Player tee off on the first uh, tee at St. Andrews and, and yakking with, with Jack Nicklaus, you know, yeah. and... I mean, that's stuff. Tom Watson priceless. desperately trying to inflate his heart <laughs> yeah. in the background. <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean, that's wonderful. I mean, I love it. Um, it's less romantic when it's at the other courses for me. My, and this probably won't surprise you because you know how weird I am, but my oh, favorite dear. sport to watch is bull riding in rodeo. That's not surprising, but it still does really confuse the shit out of mm. me. And I follow that. Are, are, are you talking about like competitive rodeo? Competitive, competitive rodeo. As as a, uh, 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 and every year they have the world championship rodeo in Las Vegas with the clowns and the barrels and the. Sure, they call bullfighters, Matt. They don't like being called clowns. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, seriously. They no, really no. The, the guys who are on the. Yeah, they call the bullfighters. They they're not the clowns. They're not clowns. No, they're I'm, dressed I'm, up like clowns traditionally, but okay. they are actually bullfighters. Look, my apologies to any professional yeah. bullfighters out there. Sure, I, I thought and, you were called clowns. And and I love the whole event. It's held in Las Vegas each year. It's one of my bucket list items to go there and, and watch it live. And that's one of the things where you will actually get the commentary live because the same commentary is broadcast across the stadium as what, what you as hear what on TV. On TV yeah. Um, and and there are many events in the rodeo. So there are uh, like barrel racing, which is sure. horse horses is roping riding. a steer, roping. Uh, it's you know a young a young steer. Um, there's all sorts of stuff, but uh, there's there's also the the horse riding stuff. The you know the the bronco riding. But my favorite is a you know twenty year old guy with almost no protection, like no armor. No helmet. He's wearing his cowboy hat. He's maybe wearing like some sort of plastic thing around his chest so that it doesn't collapse his entire sternum. <laughs> Getting onto a several ton beast, yeah. which has been bred specifically to want to buck him off and maul him and kill him with cool names like Nitro. You know, <laughs> and it'll be like you know, you know, Billy is riding a steer named Nitro. And, and, you know, this thing has injured several other riders before him. And yeah. he gets on that it's thing. decapitated four people and he just has to this stay, morning. And he has to stay on that bull for the longest six seconds of his life. I thought it was seven seconds. Six. So why is there and that Luke Perry film called Seven Seconds? I'm not sure. I guess that's... Either you or Hollywood you've succeeded. Or I, I oh, guess right. if you succeeded, you're on seven. But oh, that's right. That's and, right. And he has to stay on for six seconds. He gets graded by people looking at him for difficulty because sometimes what looks like a difficult ride isn't. And, and Wait, hang on a sec. Sorry. Mm. So there's like... they're great. It's not just about staying on. No, no, no. You have to stay on gracefully. 
You've got to stay on properly. You're not allowed. There's some rules. You're not allowed to touch the the bull at all with your hand, other than the rope you've got uh, in your one hand. You're not allowed to punch the bull repeatedly in the back of the <laughs> no, head. That's what the bull's going to do. <laughs> um, and and then it it they rate both the rider and the bull because not all bulls are created the same. What, okay, what you're telling me is if but this every is on year television, in Las Vegas they have. You would, you would watch this exclusively rather than almost mm. any other yeah. sport. And on Netflix at the moment, which I have, they've got lots of documentaries on rodeo. I mean, and and it's, it is attended by an international crowd. I mean, mostly the Americans win, but the Canadians are very big in rodeo as well. And some of their guys are, are some of the top guys. And some of the Argentinian guys, the South American cowboys. Oh, yes, because they've got those, what are they called? Like huapos mm. or guachos. Yeah, or? they've guachos. They, so they've got yeah. the... They've also got a tradition of rodeo, and and some of those guys do really well in the American. And the prize money is big. I mean, it's it's all about like you you go home empty-handed and broken, or you go home yeah. rich and famous. Yeah, it's all about that. And I just love it. I mean, it's it's something beautiful in some sense, and something truly amazing to watch someone ride that bull. And they often really get fucked up. Um, and just the whole culture around it. You know, these are the last cowboys. Um, yeah, sure. They even have a term for it, you know. Like it's it's seen as a matter of pride for the guy to get up and walk out of the stadium even instead if of he's being just carried. Sternum crash. Some of them do get carried out because, they, but if someone gets carried out in rodeo, it means they're almost dead. Yeah. Because the whole thing is the cowboy up. That's the term. <laughs> and and the announce, and the announcers will even say that like, you know, oh, no, the, the bulls. Oh, that looks really bad, you know. And then, thank you, Jesus, for saving Billy Bob. <laughs> and uh, now Billy Bob's got a cowboy up. And uh, then all Billy Bob's getting up and he's limping off. You know, and the he's like dragging are helping one him. of his arms with him. Mm. Uh, I find rodeo one of the most fascinating things to watch. Yeah. Look, I mean, I'm not going to say it's weird, but it, it's weird. <laughs> it's really, really, really weird. That that but is, it's awesome as well. Out of all the great sporting events that our wide multicultural world can offer, yeah. you've chosen rodeo. It's just so awesome. And you've chosen the quintessential white American sport. Yeah, I guess. So. Sorry about that, but it's it's, it's fine. I'm fine with it. But I, just, I mean, a lot of people I think like, this is some privilege at work, right? You know, I like putting myself in the shoes of these guys and thinking, okay, so under under what circumstances would I ever climb on top of this bull with cool. no safety gear whatsoever, whatsoever and let that thing release no, out of its happen. cage? None. There's no set of circumstances where I would yeah. ever do that. Yeah, there isn't that much money in the world. Yeah, for me to just basically you say, know, here. Matt, if someone Gordy. had to kidnap you and say, if you don't do this, I'm going to kill Matt, I'm going to have to call your mom and <laughs> yeah, say, sorry. No, sorry, your, your kid's Your dying. kid's fucked. <laughs> <laughs> I would actually respect that. I'd be like, don't There's worry no, about me, I'm mom. Not, I'm not getting onto the Terminator <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. bull or Nitro. Yeah. And I'm, not gonna I'm not doing that. get on Death Head, yeah. the light speed machine. Mm. No, no, that's fine. I, I totally no. understand that. That's yeah. fine. You Thank can let you. me die. Moving along. So what's on? Yes, what next? Marcel. We are going into our special feature session today. Our special, the special feature of the session of the special feature Christmas edition. It's doubling up. Okay. It's that special. What is it? Tell me. We are going I to be looking at that. a style of uh, beer again. So you may recall that in some ways we, we sort of uh, prefaced this a little bit in our first episode where we looked at Saison as a style. We are going to go a little bit broader. 
So Saison is actually part of the main category we're going to be looking at right now, which is Belgian ales. Okay. Belgian beers. Okay. So Saison is a Belgian style, um, but we are going to be looking at it a little bit more wider. We're going to look at different kind of sub-styles inside of Belgian beers. And Belgian beer in general is just such a different kind of beer from other kinds of beers that it deserves its own slot. Okay. It's one of my favorite styles. I really fell in love with Belgian beers early on. And the first couple of Belgians I had was in a lovely little restaurant in the Cape called Den Anker. Many of our listeners would know this place. It's right there in the waterfront. They serve one of the few places still in this country where you can get a lot of uh, Belgian beers on tap and pretty much all the other beers uh, which that wonderful country produces on, in bottle. And it just is a lovely little place. Lovely place to go and have dinner and chat, and you will find a lot of Belgian people there to, to talk to. So tell us about the Belgian style. So Belgian style is is distinctive in the sense if you if you characterize a lot of the American styles as hop forward and very hoppy. So often an American style of any other beer will tend to be more hoppy. Mm-hmm. That seems to be the characteristic which they bring to any style. Sure. So an American brown ale, for instance, is a, is a hoppier brown ale than the British style of brown ale who invented it. Belgian beers tend to be very yeast-forward. Yeast is what they play with. And the Belgian yeast are some of the most interesting yeasts on the planet. They produce the most interesting flavors. They're peppery and spicy, and some of them are barnyard. Some of them are very fruity, a lot of fruit, banana, and a lot of spice like clove, those sort of flavors are predominant in their beers. Yeah. And it, it really is just like an IPA, which we spoke of earlier, is the showcase for hops. A lot of the Belgian beers are a showcase for the yeast. Mm. Not all of them. Some of them have a lot of different malts in them, and we're going to try some. But it's some of the most unique beers out there. Mm. The, Bel- the Belgians should be probably, you know, contrasted to the Germans. So in German style beers, they've got something called the Reinheitsgebot which is this ancient medieval law which says you're not allowed to make beer out of anything other than malt, hops, and water, and yeast. They and yeast, I'm They didn't know about yeast's existence back then. Um, and wheat as well. They're allowed to make beer out of wheat. But that's where it stops. You're not allowed to put sugar in your beer. You're not allowed to put uh, herbs in your beer. You're not allowed to put anything else in your beer and call it beer in Germany. Fortunately for the rest of the world, the Belgians basically looked at that uh, law and went... Go fuck yourself. Go fuck yourself. Um, and they did. They, they went and did anything I like to beer. The Belgian style tends to be very playful with ingredients as well. You you get, obviously, malts and so on, and you get the normal hops. It's not very hoppy. The, the Belgians are known for your hoppy beers. But the yeast has such interesting flavors that it doesn't matter. It produces some of the most interesting flavors. They They like using wild fermentation. Um, natural fermentation to ferment their beers. They like uh, conditioning their beers with more yeast in the bottle. So bottle conditioning is a big thing mm. in, in Belgian mm. beers. So they re-ferment their beers. Once it's been fermented in the, in the primary fermenter, they will bottle it and then re-ferment it with new added yeast to add more complexity to the, the style. Their beers, as a result, can sometimes be quite dry and very high in alcohol. The one we're going to start with is a style called Belgian Strong Golden Ale. It's golden in color, and it's strong. It's strong, and it's made in Belgium. And it's made in Belgium. So the first one we try is one which most listeners, I would be super surprised if most of us yeah, haven't, haven't tried this at least once, is the Dufel. 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 
which is a Belgian word meaning devil. And it's made by the Murchat Brewery in um, Antwerp. And this beer came out round about the turn of, not, no, actually beyond the turn of the century. It, it was actually made in celebration of the end of the First World War. All right. Mm. Okay. So we're going back like a good hundred years. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it, the, the brewery itself started in 1871, but it made do for the first time around about 1920. Mm-hmm. And it's an interesting story in itself in the sense that much of Europe was completely destroyed by the First World War, including the regions um, in Belgium. Bel- you know, see, Belgium's a difficult country because it's in the intersection between France and Germany. Um, and Netherlands, and so it often gets invaded. Yeah, and through destroyed no fault of their own. War. Sure. Um, in the second world, the same story. In the Ardennes forest was where the Battle of the Bulge mm. took place, and that's where a lot of these breweries came from. Um, and, and in Wallonia, which is known for its saisons, so it's a difficult country to live in, in a sense, historically. Not so much anymore. They, they seem to have sorted yeah. things out. Yeah, hopefully we're not going to have any more world wars. Yeah, but exactly. they do have a tendency to get fucked up in the middle of things. Indeed. And, and the Murchat Brewery was one of those which really got fucked up in the First World War. And so the brewers of that brewery had to go find ingredients again. They had to go and reestablish their brewery. So the head brewer went to Scotland where he found a strain of yeast which to this day has been cultivated and is now still the, the yeast they use for beers like Dufel. All right. And again, it's, it's... It's an expat. It's an expat. So Scottish yeast. And it's, again, keeping with the beer style, uh, the Belgian beer style, is the yeast is the most important thing. Mm. Dufel is a very simple beer in many ways. It's got Pilsner malt as a base malt. Little else, um, really, in the malt bowl. It's got quite a bit of candy sugar. So the Belgian candy sugars are common ingredients in Belgian beers. So you may have seen this before. It's the hard rock-like sugar crystals. Mm. Mm. Uh, you get light and dark candy sugars. It's made out of light and dark sugar. And in Dufel, it's light candy sugar being used. And then they've got a bit of uh, Sars hops and a little bit of Golding's hops, uh, which is a British-style hop, although there's also a sort of a called Styrian Golding, which is in Dufel. That's a Czechoslovakian version of the, the Golding. Um, so the hop is very much in the background. It's meant to really just balance the sweetness but it's the yeast which plays most of the role here mm. and so we're going to try the doofle now but what's interesting is we're also going to you may recall from last episode we we both i think expressed mm. some skepticism about the shape of the glass the glass situation yeah so we're going to put this to scientific test yeah in a double blind clinical trial not really which is neither double cl- double blind nor a clinical no. trial and it's not a big sample size it's me and myself and matt and two glasses. So basically five people. Okay. Yeah. No, that makes statistical sense. Pretty much. Um, and we're going to see if it makes a difference. So we've poured Dufel into a, what can only be described as the simplest glass available to yeah. man, which is really like a, a tall trumpet sort of beer glass, yeah. which you can pour any beer into. And then we've got, just to be extra scientific, we've poured the Dufel into its proper glass, which you will find suggested to you on, on sites like Beer Advocate or Rate Beer and those things. Um, or the BJCP uh, guide as well. It's a tulip glass, beautiful tulip glass. It actually is a Dufel tulip glass. Yeah, it's literally branded. It literally says Dufel on the yeah. side. Um, I'm going. We're both going to try it, and we're going to we're going to tell you what we think. Yeah, and whether there's actually a difference, sure. whether we can detect so Matt, anything. Let's let's sniff this beer. I think the ro- for me, I, 
you know, if I had to bet, like beforehand, like Mythbusters, you know, which where yeah, do I think? Yeah, is, as it, let, let's let's yeah. lay out the hypothesis here. Yeah, so my hypothesis is that taste-wise, there's going to be fuck all difference. Mm. My but aroma, aroma, wise, I think, is going to be where okay. the battles for. That's my okay. This beer is still quite cold, sure. So we might not get yeah. the full aroma sure. out of it. Well, I do feel it has to be served reasonably cold, but not like super cold. So what what aroma are you getting out of this beer now? Now, just for the listeners' sake, Matt is is busy sniffing from the, the tulip, tulip glass. I'm sniffing from the bog standard. There's quite a bit of head on here, mm. and and they like describing it as a rocky white head. Well, that is a very mm. good description. That's kind of seafoam. Belgian yeah. beers tend to because of the yeasts and and so on, which they use and the techniques they use, are known for good good foam, and what is a more of a wine term, which is lacing. So once you finish the beer, there's a lot of residual beer in the glass yeah. still. There's that, they also call it legs. It's lacing. It's it's a sign of good quality beer, I think. It's, look, to be kind of brutal about it, it's it's like the seafoam effect. It's mm. walking down the beach and... So you're getting seafoam. No, 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 the, the visual is oh, right, seafoam. Right. You're the, not getting the, fishy. <laughs> that would be bad. Yeah, I'm not getting mussels and kinky. You call people and say you fucked up. Um, no, it's it's... It's actually quite a clean aroma. There's not a very clean. I'm I'm um, I'm getting more of the hmm. not a very hoppy aroma. Um, right. It's not dank. It's hmm. not. Uh, and Dufour is it's a very neutral beer. Uh, the, the strong golden ales are supposed to be kind of refreshing and light. In fact, the the history of it was uh, Murchat Brewery brought out Dufour because of the increasing popularity of pilsners and lagers in Europe at the time, hmm. and they wanted to make a Belgian beer. Which have you know, which has the Belgian characteristics, but which is light in a, in a more popular style. And you can make you know session beer. I mean, although it, it's eight and a half percent alcohol, so it's not a lager <laughs> no. lightness. And they served in these lovely little—I can't even describe these bottles—but they're just beautiful little dumpy, yeah, they, two-tiered bottles. Yeah, dumpy with a very small brassiere on. Yeah, oh, I like that. Yeah, it's a sexy bottle. It's a sexy bottle. Yeah, I—I've I, got to tell you, I'm getting a, pepper. Mostly white pepper, not black pepper, white pepper. Yeah. And I'm getting a slight perfuminess to it. There's a perfumey uh, reminiscent of... Swap glasses. Of a perfumey. So let's swap glasses. We're swapping glasses. Now, you see, this this is not as intense as the smell I'm getting from the other glass. No, I'm getting more Ah! of this glass. Already, the myth is starting to be I can immediately say, yeah, I'm getting that white pepper that you're talking Mm. about immediately. It's It's almost like like the the tulip glass doesn't quite concentrate the flavor enough. The the tulip glass narrows at the neck before widening again. Yeah. So I wonder whether that doesn't keep a lot of it in. Mm, I'm not getting as much aroma from a tulip glass. No, as I, I can I can smell the pepper here. And I that surprises me. I thought it would be the other way around. Did we overfill it, perhaps? No, I mean we just we just did. I mean it's, it's up to the neck. I mean, what else are you supposed to do here? No, sure. I mean, it does still have a spiciness. I mean, it's very spicy, but light spicy, light clove. Light pepper mm. and some perfumey floral notes. I do get that, even in this uh, tulip glass. It is a bit perfumey. It's, it's almost like you could make a perfume out of out of the beer, and, and that's a very strong characteristic of Belgians. Uh, beers um, is I don't know about Belgian people. They might also like. <laughs> they also like to be I'm not judging. Um, and let's taste this. Let's taste the Dufour. Right. So, what do you think, man? Definitely uh, a denser beer mm. um, for a for a kind of. A golden lagerish type mm. beer is definitely more dense than mm. I'm used to, mm. um, and it isn't the hops that make it like that. It's no. it, it's the yeast. It's the yeast, 
It's got a breadiness to it immediately for mm. me. It's it's that bready note which comes from the yeast and the the malt to some extent, because they use they're using Pal- Belgian Pilsner malt, which is slightly more biscuity than your other Pilsner malts. Yeah. But it's got there's a there's a, a spiciness to it. There, yeah, there is. I think that those it's those pepper notes coming through mm. again. Um, there's a lot of that kind of yeasty reminder of of a vice beer. Yes, okay? that's that, that, sure. that sits there. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't have any wheat barley in it, which is interesting. Uh, the only thing it has, in, and if you look at the ingredient, it's barley malt, water hops, yeast, and glucose, which is the candy sugar. It's the sugar, yeah. Yeah. Um, and the sugar adds a little bit of sweetness to it, I think, uh, but it certainly dries out the beer. It finishes very dry. It, it, is, it is dry, but again, it's not that bitter dry. Mm. It's, it seems to be this middle ground mm. where the dryness is coming from the sure. clarity of flavor more than anything else Duffel is one of my favorite beers because it dries to a point where I want more and I, I have I have I have had many Duffels in one day <laughs> and it's <laughs> it's a dangerous beer for me it's it's the it's for me the beer equivalent of of grappa and those funny things yeah. where you sometimes find yourself institutionalized basically spending all day in the sun with people you don't know and then and then having to basically take the rest of the week off this is going to go directly against your hypothesis, but I'm getting very, very different flavor notes from mm. from this bottle, from mm. this uh, glass. True. Um, it's strange. It, I, it, 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 it might be also because this is a yeah. little bit warmer. Whereas not much. I, I actually beginning to think that this glass thing is a lot of bullshit. Hey, because the box standard glass is producing better flavors for me. For me, I'm getting a lot more flavor mm. out of this kind and, of pulsary. This glass is definitely not the recommended glass for a do. No. It is so far away from the recommended glass, not even fun. No, I mean, but these shapes, I mean, this glass mm. could fit inside that one. Yeah. So, actually, the, the tulip glass is a bit of a disappointment for me. I'm getting a lot more of the spice notes, mm. um, that the, 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 sure. the, the cleaner flavor out of here. That one, might, like I said, I don't I know mean, if it's the a one, temperature. The one thing could be temperature in the sense that the, the box down glass is, it has no stem. Mm. And you recall from our last episode, you're holding yes. the beer and Correct. warming it so up. So it's warming it up quicker, yeah. So maybe that's why we're getting more flavor, where the tulip glass has a stem which you're gripping mm. uh, the beer on. You know, I don't know. I mean, look, the, the cold beer is satisfying in many ways mm. because, it's, because it's cold. And it, that it, allocates it to the crispness as well. That, the, the conventional glass mm. is not coming off as crisp. I guess the one finding which surprised me over and above everything we've been saying is that there that does seem to be a difference in the glass you yeah, use. Yeah, which I really thought was going to be wankery. Yeah, I, I thought it would be like identical, uh, right? There is a difference, but it's not in the, the expected direction. Gonna, look, if we're going to do this scientifically, we really need to make sure they're the same temperature. And exactly from the same bottle. From the we same, didn't do yeah, that. yeah, that's true. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's the same batch of beer, but I can't be sure. Even now, as this tulip glass mm. warms up, I'm not... I'm not tasting it as much yeah. as I'm tasting so it. So actually, it, 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 it basically, this has shown our own ineptitude as scientists. Yes, our complete, ridiculous, Pretty non-scientific much. method approach to this has rendered yeah. the entire experiment. Mythbusters don't have to quit their day job just yet. Well, they have quit their day no, job. I know. I know. <laughs> See what I did there. <laughs> um, there is a new one coming out, though. Not new, but uh, the junior Mythbusters. Carrie, uh, Byron, yes. uh, Tori, and yeah. Grant have started a Netflix ep- uh, series called White Rabbit Project. Yeah, Gra- Grant Imahara. He's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so he's they, the a, three of them have a, a new show out on Netflix called The, the White Rabbit Project where they – it's not Mythbusters, but it's similar in a format. Mm, mm. But they, they don't test myths. They – Reenact things which actually happen, and, oh, then, that's cool. and then sort of elaborate on it. You know, if you if you can't sit and watch 
Carrie Byron doing scientific experiments, then you have no place on this planet. No, I can I can watch Carrie Byron pretty much do anything. Yeah, like ironing or watching paint dry. Watch, yeah, I mean yeah. she could just be out in the garden while I Sleeping. look after our children. Yeah, that's a bit that we've had yeah. together because yes. we're married. Yeah, and okay. living in beautiful. That's so sad, man. So sad. So back to the devil. <laughs> the devil. But as a beer, right? If we know, so I think what we can find, we, we this needs more investigation. I think is what we can agree on. We we will yeah. we'll revisit this Let's in a year this. with more science, yeah. and we'll do a proper test. But as a beer, what do you think? Um, look on a personal level, I'm not as much of a fan of the very yeasty beers. Mm. Um, I'm not. A, I, I don't like a lot of vices either, but. That's it. There's a clarity of flavor here, you know, mm. that is very much close to those crisp um, lager notes that I quite enjoy. And it is very refreshing. I really wouldn't mind a couple of these. Mm. Um, I mean, it, it has almost hints of, I wouldn't say it's sour, but it's got a slight hints of barnyardy yeah, it, complexity for me, which I like in the Belgians. It might be the, the, the lack of proportionate lack of hops, mm. you know, that doesn't mm. really punch it out to me. But at the same time, like, you know, it, it's a it's a... Especially as a cold beer, it's very refreshing. It's very refreshing. I mean, you can see that they've accomplished their idea of yeah, the creating an alternative to uh, European lagers. Yeah, sure. What's interesting also, and it's, it's a comment on the skill of the brewing, it doesn't taste boozy. Yeah, th- this is a high alcohol beer. It's a very high alcohol. And it, I, so I'm not sitting here going, wow, I can mm. taste that alcohol. Yeah. No, I mean, no, I mean the, the Tomahawk IPA we had earlier tasted more boozy to me than, yeah. than the no, uh, sure. Dufel. And we started specifically with this one because, and this is a nice comment actually on beer appreciation, which we discussed last episode. If you are going to do a flight of beers, it's probably a good idea to start with the lighter ones first, mm. as in light malt bull. And if you can, light alcohol bull and work your way up. If you start with the hoppiest, darkest beer you can find, the other beers are just going to seem like water. Yeah, inferior. In comparison. So, so just a little hint there is, is to start with your light lightest alcohol lightest malt bill and lightest hop beer if you can mm. um, even if you do a flight of IPAs you would want to start with the lightest IPA and work your way through to the real tongue burner at the end yeah. otherwise the flavors just don't come through yeah. um, so that's why we started with Dufour yeah you fatigue your palate you know for sure so the next one you know this so now now we can go one of two ways but I'm going to stick with the style so this is also a golden strong ale is it a quack? It is a quack. I've, I've had Have quack. Have you had quack? I've had quack. I'm I appreciate qu- you, Matt. You're I had quack in Amsterdam, actually. You're much more of a beer aficionado than I thought. No, I'm just, I'm just an alcoholic, so, oh, right. well, so I'll, I'll, I'll drink anything I get my hands on. So we're going to open the quack. Now, interestingly, um, quack is not um, brewed by the same brewery as Dufel. Uh, they are brewed by their own brewery, but they've recently been, unfortunately, from as far as I'm concerned, bought out by InBev. Oh wow! Yeah, so it's a it's oh. a family brewery which has been running for I think eight generations. That immediately makes you question yeah. the future. The of ninth beer. generation have sold the fuck sold. out. Yeah. They sold out, yeah. and InBev has bought them. They they they're like out, the Miramax of beer. They brought out, they bring out two other beers, so it's it remains to be seen. It, it happened this year, so it remains to be seen whether. We're going to get the same quality and the same sort of nature in the beer. Yeah. But, um, you know, Quark's legend, even though it's, it was, I think, brewed in the 1980s for the first time or somewhere around there, um, I speak on the correction, the brewery itself has been around for a long, long time. Uh, but the legend is it's named after Paul Quark, who was an innkeeper. 
back in the day. And uh, quack is to be served in a special glass, which we do not have. It's the wooden handle yes. with the, the like a test tube. It's like a yard glass, yeah. uh, round bottom. Yeah. It fits into this wooden thing. Uh, look, I, that's what I had quack in, sure. in Amsterdam. And I cannot tell you how incredibly uncomfortable it is to drink it out it's of It's a that. horrible glass. It's I a terrible... Whoever invented that and thought that this was the right way to drink beer was on a sorely incorrect track. Um, and, I mean, the, the legend of it is that that glass was made to be put into a, into a stirrup um, because the, the riders who came along to the inn didn't have time to stay in the inn, so they just wanted beer. So the, the innkeeper invented the glass, which the, the guys could, like, Hitch into their stirrup or something. I don't know how you it's would a, do that. No, it's all bullshit. No, sure. all it all it shows, all that horrible quark handle shows is that yeah. everyone from Belgium is a terrible carpenter. <laughs> that's all. It, that's all it proves is the complete ineptitude they of anyone. Drunk. They all drunk. No, the which is fine, but then own it. You know, mm. don't try and put it yeah. out there. What's interesting also, just from a point of view of branding and labeling, the, the Belgian beers all tend to have this sort of traditional style. Very, yeah. Uh, because they can. It looks like Lion Log in the 80s. Sure, but they can. And I think that's the thing which, which craft brewers in South Africa haven't quite gotten onto yet. Is you kind of have to earn that. You have to earn it. If you, if you make your label like, you know, some sort of ancient... And sure, you can argue that they had to start somewhere and you can start now. But sure. the fact is that, that... But then we'll talk again in 40 years. You know, Quark started in 1791. Okay. So not the 1980s? No. Well, oh. the modern version of Quark was brewed. Oh, uh, uh, okay. I see what you're saying. But the brewery itself started in 1791. I mean, Murchat Brewery, in, uh, which does Dufour, started in 1871. No, a lot of the Belgian beers are around the 18th, 1800s. They earned it, you know, and it's, yeah. it makes sense then to, to leverage off of that massive yeah. tradition. Have some gold medals on the label, yeah. have some hops on the label. But if you started in 2013, no, then and you're making a label, you like don't get to use that. Yeah, I'm sorry, absolutely. It's stupid. Anyway, so that's my little rant. No, no, no. Uh, we're in agreement there. I'm so, Quark is technically the same style as Dufour, but you can see it doesn't even look the same. It's not, any, that's a beautiful yeah. caramel color to it. Mm. Now, if you smell it, now I love this smell. Mm. This for me is one of the most delightful smelling yeah, beers ever. Uh, we're, we're now currently, by the way, uh, listeners, having it from a tulip, uh, not a tulip, a goblet yeah. glass. Um, and lovely lacing. You can see that it's got serious legs, this beer. It just sticks to the glass. Less, less sea foam and more syrupy goodness. Ashton Kutcher's career. The aroma is just magnificent. Yeah, it's a delicious, delicious smell. I'm picking up raisins. I'm picking up yeah. dried fruit. Currants. Currants. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely picking up freshly baked bread. That real doughy, beautiful mm. biscuity flavors. Yeah. There's a very Cinnabon mm. kind of taste mm. to that. Good. Oh, Cinnabon. I like that. Yeah. Very Cinnabon. I'd have a quack flavored Cinnabon. I would definitely have a quack flavored Cinnabon. Interesting when you drink it and when you taste it, it's not, it doesn't translate all those flavors back into the palate. It's quite a clean beer. And yeah. maybe that is why it belongs in the style because it's, Ultimately, very clean on the palate. It's refreshing. It's not heavy. The, the, the alcohol is disguised, and this is, not a, this is exactly the same as Dufo already, 8.5, yeah. 8.4, but let's not split hairs. Um, you don't pick that up. It doesn't taste boozy. Mm. And it tastes kind of refreshing. Yeah. I can have this in a summer's day. Strange enough, I mean, besides the, the, the color mm. and what I got off you know, the aroma of it, it actually does drink very similar to, yeah. the, to, to the Duffel. Very similar. So it's a very clean flavor as well mm. up on top of everything else. Very, very clean. Yeah. 
Quack, nice beer. Quack, very Quack nice beer. I can have that all day long. Yeah. Um, next one. Next one. We're moving uh, next Belgian. rapidly along. Yeah. Now, I've got a special glass for this one too. Can you explain this glass to me? And I think you and I will it, share it. It looks like the kind of glass that King Arthur would have... This looks like the it's grail. the holy grail. It looks like the grail. It's the grail. It actually looks a lot like the those glasses they had at... In, in the Last Crusade, Indiana Jones movie, which yes. you shouldn't have picked. Yes, that, that's right. A penitent man. Yes. You know, he, he bows uh, before Carpenter's God. cup. Carpenter's cup, exactly. This yeah. is not a carpenter's cup. No, this is this one of the ones glass. you shouldn't have picked because it's, it's like glass, glass and it's gold. gold. It's know? got bling. Oh. Now, if you took this, you, your face would melt off and you would turn into a mummy. Yes, you would have died. Yeah. You would not have got eternal life. You would choose poorly. You have chosen poorly. <laughs> but in a, uh, anyway, so this is from the, the glass itself and the beer we're having is from the Maritzos Abbey. Now, this is an interesting story because in Belgian beers, you have uh, a style called Abbey beers. Abbey beers are what you can legally name your beer if it's brewed according to the, 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 monk, uh, the Belgian monkish styles, which is often Trappist uh, monasteries. It's very strict order they're very pious very very strict except they like to party with some beer yeah well you know they have to make money (laughs) sometimes so the the, and but you're not allowed to call it a trappist beer that is a a protected name but you can't call it an abbey but you can call it an abbey beer which is you're you're hewing close to the style of the the belgian monks and the way they brew beer maritzot is such a beer it is brewed under license by the murchat brewery which makes dufel makes dufel yeah there is, in fact, a Marisot's Abbey. It's real. It's a real abbey. Now, there are abbey beers which are named after fictitious abbeys. Um, a lot of the French uh, abbey beers, for instance, are, and German abbey beers are named after fictitious abbeys. They don't exist. <laughs> and a lot of the American craft abbey beers also, same. Um, but the Marisot's is a real abbey, and they have, they have lent or rented out their name to Murchat, and uh, Marisot's is the result. The, the next beer in style we're going to use, uh, drink now actually, is, is my favorite. It's, it's probably my favorite Belgian style. And it's the triple. Um, this is the Marisot's Abbe triple. No. The triple is, is, is one of the strongest uh, Belgian beers you'll have. It's just a beautiful beer. And it's supposed to be served in a goblet mm-hmm. or a wine. You can even serve this in a wine glass. It looks great in a goblet. I won't it looks lie. Great. And That's a- triple, which we're having, the Marisot's, is 10%. Alcohol. No, not fucking around. You get triples 11, 12 to 14 percent even. Shit, really? Sure. That's um, wow. It, it really, what's interesting about this from a homebrewing perspective is it strains the capacity of most um, beer yeast. There are specific yeasts you should be using in a triple, um, which are uh, Belgian strains of yeast, which can take that sort of alcohol level. They can bring it up to 10, 12, 14 percent. What some people do, which is a tremendous mistake, by the way, if you're a home brewer, is to use yeast like champagne yeast. Now, champagne yeast can, can easily ferment up to 20% alcohol, even if you really play with it properly. But it's not the right yeast. Champagne yeast makes it dry and flavorless. Where the triple yeasts, the, the trappist yeast, the um, Ardennes yeasts, the Belgian yeasts, they all tend to have a lot of flavors, a lot of um, fruity, banana, clove-like flavors, which you want out of a triple. So we're going to try the Maritzots. It's color-wise, sort of an amber color. Yeah, similar to the mm. 
um, to the quark. Sure. I mean, triple can be even lighter. There are some triples which are much lighter. The uh, there are some uh, like the the Westmal triples and those, which are some of the highest rated triples in the world, tend to be slightly lighter. But yeah, you do need a bit of malt, a bit of crystal malt, a bit of amber malt to balance out, you know, this beer. The the triple is also refreshing, but it is a monster of a beer. You you must be careful with it. And what I like about it is it, it brings all the Belgian things together. It brings the sugariness. You actually taste the sugar in this beer because it has some long-chain sugars in it, which is not fermented out. Um, and it, it's a large part of the malt bowl is actually sugar. At least 10% of your malt bowl should be invert sugar syrup or candy sugar or something like that to make a triple properly. Um, so the Belgians, you know, I love the triple because for me it's like the ultimate fuck you to the Ronheit's kabot. <laughs> the Belgians are basically peering across the border and yeah, going okay, to Germany. That's fine. And we'll make this. Uh, get some bitches. of this shit. And, and we're going to have it. So I'm going to taste it. We're going we're gonna to share the glass mm. because there's only one of the grail. It's a beautiful beer. I love it. Marzots is one of my favorite triples. I smell the caramel. Easy to find in South Africa as well. It's got some that's, fruitiness. That's lovely. Apricot. You get some apricot, you get some spice, you get some white pepper. I expected the alcohol to be quite upfront, but you it's don't not. see it. It's yeah. not, eh? I can taste that apricot. Mm. I can taste that fruitiness. Smart sauce is a bit more fruity than most. Um, some of the other triples are a bit more spicy. But you get um, also banana, uh, banana peel, and and your tropical flavors coming out there. But that's the, the ester. So the, the way to make triples is interesting because what they do with triples is they after obviously the whole you know brewing process they ferment it as normal and then they re-ferment it in the bottle they reintroduce usually a different strain of yeast than they used in the initial fermentation so initial fermentation can be a belgian yeast which will bring out the bready phenolic um, clove-like flavors then they usually add a a neutral kind of yeast uh, which is not that flavorsome and they referment it in what's uh, in what they call warm rooms, and these are sort of the opposite of a cold room in a brewery, which is kept at sort of a six percent, yeah. uh, you know, a six degree Celsius temperature. Warm rooms are are usually up to about twenty five to thirty degrees Celsius, mm. so they're nice and toasty. They put these bottles in the warm room for uh, uh, several weeks. Just promote that growth, and and the yeast sort of starts activating and it referments. So it dries out the beer tremendously. It, it emphasizes the spiciness of the original yeast strain. Where, where's that bitterness coming from? The bitterness is coming from some hops here. Huh? So you do have to add a bit of hops to the triple, but it's it's subtle, noble hops. So it's saws, it's, it's, goldings. But it's, it is obvious in comparison to yeah. both the duffel and the and the quark. Yeah. But the bitterness is coming out because the beer is so dry. Mm. Um, a lot of the sweetness has been removed by the re-fermentation in the bottle. Mm. You can still taste the sugar, though. It's got a sugar no, in it. definitely. Definitely. In the same um, way that you can taste it in a malty yeah, kind of drink. Sure. And it, it's somewhat coming out of amber malts and caramel malts, but mostly it's actually coming out of sugar. Mm. They add so much sugar in that the yeast cannot possibly ferment all of it. Mm. So some of that sugary sweetness is left in the beer. And that's why you're tasting that actual sugar in the beer. Okay. Um, but but uh, you weren't joking. Beer, that's a monster of a beer. Hey? It's a beautiful. Beer. You can that's a you can taste all of that. that I love this beer. A really really it's, good. One. It's it's in my top five styles of all all time. Probably number two, I would say mm. uh, after an IPA, mm. which is still my favorite. But number two would be a triple in any day of the week because <laughs> the complexity is there as well. Though. It's got layers and yeah. it's got 
it's it disguises the alcohol so well and it's got that sort of spiciness and the the Marzot's not that pronounced but some other triples have a real banana flavor mm. very heavy banana mm. you you can't if you're a home brewer and you're making a triple you cannot no, do the normal 10 day fermentation two week bottle fermentation cycle you've got to re-ferment in the bottle and then you've got to leave that bottle for about a month or two and just let it go yeah. to let those flavors develop yeah um and, and then you'll have a, a proper triple. We are moving along to our final beer for the day. The double. Now, I've, I've specifically taken the duple later because it's a darker beer. And for me... Oh, like you said, you know, go through the, sure. the progression. So this is a Trappist beer. And there are only a few uh, places in the world which are allowed to call themselves Trappist beers. They all have this hexagonal label called Authentic Trappist Product on it. So there's... Uh, there's oh, so this isn't one of the under-licensed ones. This is like this a is an actual, actual... Brewed under supervision by monks. This is like LucasArts. This is... Yes. Um, there's, there's a society called the International Trappist uh, Foundation or something like that, or society. They, they basically accredit a brewery to be a true Trappist brewery. So to be a true Trappist brewery is that there's several criteria... You've got to actually be a monk order. You've got to be a working monastery. The primary um, activity of the brewery must not be to brew beer, but to be a monastery. Mm. That's one of the criteria. Uh, it has to be non-profit. So any profits you make out of your beer must go to charitable causes, which the monastery is supporting, or to the good of the community. Mm. And it has to be brewed under supervision of a monk. It doesn't necessarily have to be brewed by monks themselves. But the the head of the brewery must be a monk at all times. Okay. Now, there are several Trappist breweries in the world. Might surprise you to know. So most of them are in Belgium. But uh, there are some in Italy. There's one in Italy. There's one in Germany. And there's actually now the newest one. There's one in the United States. There's a Trappist order in the United States. In Massachusetts. America have their own monks. Yeah. So there's a Trappist order of monks in Massachusetts. Vaguely annoying. They've been around for a very long time, actually. A uh, very long time. Since the turn of the century. And it's a brewery called Spencer Brewery they, uh, in Massachusetts. And for, long, for the longest time, that, that Trappist order just existed as... Because there are Trappist orders who don't make beer at all. Uh, they were one of those. And they, and they were running out of money. And so they decided, well... Makes a lot of our European cousins are making good money out of beer, so let's do that. Mm-hmm. And because of this international Trappist society, they were able to capitalize on mm-hmm. that. And they make one beer at the moment, uh, which is a, a strong golden ale, I think. Now, the one we're about to have is the Westmall uh, Trappist Brewery, which is in Belgium. It's one of my favorites. They make the highest rated triple in the world, pretty much, is the, the Westmall Triple, one of the highest rated. But we're going to have it there double. Now, the double is completely different to the triple. And what's interesting, uh, uh, in a way, is that, that it, it, it plays with our conceptions, South African conceptions of, of beer, because in South Africa, I think people tend to think that darker beers are stronger because yeah. of the whole cost yeah. of stout thing. Absolutely, yeah. But it's not true. Uh, the triple, you know, which we just had, was 10% alcohol. The double, Westmont double, is 7% alcohol. Mm. But it's a darker beer. It's a much darker beer. It's got lots of different malts in it. I, I've got to say, I, that bottle, the neck of that bottle is so cool. It's so cool. There's like a there's like mm-hmm. a, a collar around yeah. the around the neck. That yeah. is very very cool. That kind of design again. It's like you've earned the right to 
have that on your yeah. label. I mean, what's interesting about the Belgian Abbey beers is that, especially the Trappist ones, you'll find that the, the Trappist breweries really came about in the 1800s. So it's not that ancient. It was really only in the 1800s where the, the monks started brewing beer commercially. But the monk orders and the therapist orders came from the Middle Ages. Sure. And that was all internal. Yeah. Yeah. And then the monks did brew beer as well, but it was mostly for own consumption mm. or for the local uh, province or duchy or whatever they called it back then, uh, or the local monarch who yeah. supported them. Sure. Um, so, so there's an ancient tradition of, of monkish beer, but the commercial abbey beers really came out of the 1800s. Still not too bad. I mean, it's still very old. But it's not sort of medieval in that sense. Yeah, it's, it's not 600 years of... Yeah, that yeah. one. So the Dupel. So when you look at this Westmall Dupel label, I mean, my Flemish is not great. <laughs> it's subpar. It's subpar. It's subpar. It's, it's good stuff here. I mean, they say... My favorite part, the favorite sentence of this label is... And I'm going to try the Flemish here. So forgive me, Belgian and Dutch people who are listening in. Did leave in the beer... That was phenomenal. Thank you. That was phenomenal. I was uh, expecting Doster Betha por favor. And that was <laughs> that was astonishing. So this this meaning that it, it re ferments in the glass, uh, the bottle itself. Right. So and they say here also Schenk het voorzichtig uit, which is pour it very, very carefully so ah. that you do not get the yeast into the glass. Ah. Because they want the beer to be clear. Yeah, sure. But because of the re-fermentation process, inevitably you will have a cake of yeast at the bottom of the bottle. And you leave that in there. You leave it in Don't there. Don't put that in the glass. You, you pour it. And so that's, that's the instructions on the bottle. But with the duple, you know, you're, you're getting a really wonderful sort of marriage between malts, yeast, and hops, mm-hmm. which showcases mm-hmm. Belgian beers perhaps more than any other style in Belgian yeah. beer. It's Christmas in a glass. Yeah, oh, we, we, we said earlier that that was a, hmm. a Christmas cake. It's that Christmas tart, that raisins, the, the Christmassy, mm. the, the, the spices that sure. go with that, the I cinnamon, think, the, all I those mean, things. If you're a listener to this podcast, I would recommend, and you're listening to this before Christmas, you know, ditch the wine and the stuff for Christmas and go into beer in a big way for Christmas food mm. pairing. And, and a duple should be on your food pairing list for beers for Christmas. Yeah. You know, probably the aperitif, I would I would put it into the sort of if you're gonna have some Christmas pies in the initial stages of Christmas. Yeah. Because it works with that spicy sweetness. Absolutely. Or the dessert beer. Yeah. You know, if you're gonna have the a Christmas cake for dessert. Delicious. Thank Delicious you. Marcel. Good Belgian chef. We are almost at the end of our show. We've had our cage fight. We've had some talking about Belgian beers. What's next for you, Matt? What are you going to do this holiday? Um, as little as possible, man. 
2016 has been a rough fucking year. It's been a rough year. It's been a shitty one, man. It's taken its toll on us. If nothing else, a complete maniac has been elected to the most powerful position in the world. Sure. Well, I mean, besides the obvious reality television schadenfreude that I'm looking forward to seeing what happens there. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. Let's just see when he, when he mm. pushes the button, not if. Yeah. Um, but I think there's been a psychic toll. I think we've seen a lot of great artists die this year. Mm. Um, you know, Bowie and... and uh, you know, just really beautiful people that you've grown up with. Um, Cohen. So, uh, Leonard Cohen, for fuck's sake, man. Leonard Cohen died. Absolutely. That's just, these are sad things. So, so I think 2016, I would hesitate to say that there's anyone out there who is mm. sad to see it go. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. One thing remains, though, man. Yeah. We spoke a little bit earlier about Christmas. And yes. About spending it with family, which yes. is one of the primary reasons why people kill themselves. <laughs> yeah, well, yes. Uh, while I understand that, I'm yes. fortunate that my family aren't terrifying. I'm pretty sure uh, they're not, and I'm I'm okay with that too. I'm, my family's not terrifying at all. But what is your pick for Christmas beer? Um, I I have two Christmas beers, and sure. one one for nostalgia, and one because it is actually the best beer I've ever had at Christmas. Right. Um. I, and the sad thing is I can't name the second one mm. because my father bought it from um, from a beer connoisseur who used to go around doing beer tastings. Right. His name was BJ Langevarden or something. Oh, okay. that, wow. You're not, you're, okay. Yeah. That's an old different Yeah. So BJ Langevarden. Langevarden, yeah. Was the first guy to bring out a book on South African beer available. Right. Yeah. Right. Was the South African beer drinker's guy. That's it. I've got it in my right. bookshop. Well, no, no, he used to do beer tastings. I wow. think he did corporate beer tastings at first, which is what got my dad oh, into I'm it. I'm surprised. But, so my dad went in a couple of years with him and they went mm. down to the Cape together and they kind of sampled some of sure. whatever the Cape had. But he came back, not with a South African beer, he came back with a Belgian beer. Yeah. And, and you're going to hate me because I can't remember the name of it because I was probably about 12 mm. years old or 11 years old or whatever it might have been. But this beer, you know, my dad would let me take a sip here and there and whatever it might be. But from what I remember, they, they only make something like 12 or 16 cases yeah. of this beer a year. But I've never tasted a liquid that tastes mm. so much like ham <laughs> in my entire life. Right. It was a full Christmas dinner in a, in a bottle. Mm. It was gammon and mustard and, uh, and mm. cloves and cinnamon. And you drank it. Mm. And to me, that was geez, actually one of my early formative experiences with right. beer. My other one was probably was Castle Lager because that was the first beer my dad let me drink. Mm. And he did that around the Christmas table. So thanks, Dad, <laughs> for introducing me to yeah. the SAB. My, my first beer I ever drank was Black Label. So you, so you already have a head start on me. I know. You already – see, it's unfair. I'm like it's 20% more. <laughs> so, I've, got, I've got two beers too. Um, the one which I most now, for the last five years or so, I'm a big turkey fan. I dig turkey. Do you talk turkey? I talk turkey. You too. talk turkey? I talk turkey. Okay. And I like the turkey with the stuffing and the full trimmings and the yeah. cranberry sauce. Yeah. Right. And the best beer I've ever had with turkey is Brewers and Union's Beast of the Deep. Beast of the Deep is a great beer. It's sort of like a, a, a clear double bottle. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, high alcohol, very spicy, very fruity, very clove-like. And the clove flavors especially go well with turkey, the turkey, stuffing, because yeah. you often put cloves in turkey stuffing. And even if you don't, the cranberry fruitiness of the sauce 
goes really well with the uh, Beast of the Deep. Uh, and might I say that Beast of the Deep is a very legitimate way to re- respond to Christmas this year. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. you know, Cthulhu came yeah. out. No, Cthulhu came out and 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 didn't pull any fucking punches. Okay. Yeah. He the, brought all his friends. Yeah. The Leviathan you know. has risen. Yeah. You know, he brought the king in yellow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, absolutely. You know, as well. So they're so walking I, the earth right the fuck now. Sure. So the beast I, of the deep is legitimate. I agree. I, I like drifting off into some sort of uh, angelic wonderland. While having Beast of the Deep in Turkey. Yeah, that's solid. What's the other one? The other one is actually the Westmark Triple. Well, not the double. Not the double. Not the double, which we said was like a, I feel the ultimate Christmas. And I'm, I'm actually going to try it this year. I'm, I haven't tried the double in Christmas very often, so I'm going to try that. But okay. I do like the Westmark Triple because it's so food friendly, it's very neutral. Yeah. It's peppery and, and banana, so it goes with almost any food. Um, and I've had many pleasant experiences with, with triple and Christmas. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So All try right. the Westmore triple. It's, it's, it's got a nice caramelly backbone as well, which the Marisols doesn't have. And the reason for that is that the, the Westmore Trappist breweries used to be fired with wood. So their kettles actually were wood-fired kettles. Yeah. So they had these hot spots in the kettle. Which caramelized the, the malts and created a very caramel flavor. We spoke about those hot spots before as sure. well. Yeah. Now they don't have wood fired kettles, but they've created um, steam powered kettles which do the same thing. All right. So there are hot spots in, in the. So you still get the same effect. You caramelize. And if you want to clone, if you're a homebrewer and you want to clone the, the West Malt Triple, what I would recommend is, is creating a bit of a, a sugar, like a sugar syrup, just like with normal sugar and water. And caramelize it a little bit on the stovetop, so actually burn it a little bit, and then add that to your just to your get brew, that flavor, and you'll get that flavor. Okay, yeah. So Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. Marcel. I, I hate fucking Merry Christmas. To be entirely honest to you, but um, we shall soon feature feats of strength. We, we wrestle. <laughs> we wrestle in front of the aluminium pole. What is the other one? The airing of grievances. The airing of grievances. Yeah, <laughs> we, we talk about what we really think about our family yeah. members. Yeah, well, okay, well, happy, happy Festivus, or Kwanzaa, or Christmas, or Hanukkah, yes. or whatever, whatever you're celebrating. Um, it's been a very cool year so yeah. far with the, this podcast, has been a lot of fun to do, not, just, feel, be, not just because you buy all the beer. I feel privileged to be part lie. of this podcast, I want to thank everyone who, every single person who listened to this, I want to thank in person, Matt Besling, M- who is not only my co-host, <laughs> but also our producer. He likes to party. I also want to thank... A couple of other people, Beer Girl, one of our most uh, fervent supporters. Thank you for your listening and Thank shout you for out listening, to you. Yeah, absolutely. Nicholas Bush from Drifter Brewing Company, who was our first yeah. and so far only interview person on the on the on the podcast. I want to also really just say that next year is going to be even bigger and even better. Um, it's going to be a good year. Um, I'm looking people. forward. To, it can only be better. I mean, we're good grief! Be, no one's going to die. No At least not as many people are going to die. We're going to broadcast live from from other places than the studio. We're going to be uh, looking. Yeah, that. we're going to spread our wings, hey? We're going to be moving if along. Marcel's budget allows for it, for sure. Um, otherwise, we're going to just be broadcasting from my living room. And then finally, thank you to Pollinator. Pollinator, yeah, dude. Music I, by Pollinator. I got to tell you. Fa- favorite band that we've had on the podcast so far. Yeah. Good.
Queens of the Stone Age slash Motorhead slash Wolfmother. Wolfmother, yeah, absolutely. Good stuff. Cool. Thanks for listening, guys. It's been a really cool year. I hope you have a good Christmas. Don't kill your family. Yeah, drive safely. Don't murder anybody. Um, And if you do, hide the body effectively. Um, Good night. Good night. You don't really need that hacksaw. Game over. (laughs) Game over, man. We're fucked, man. I don't know if you've been keeping on the latest events. We just got our asses kicked, man. They're going to come in here and they're going to kill us all. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Ah, fucking hell.